What hey, you, Jacob, guess what I'm thinking of doing today? What's that? Uh, since my drawing today is going, is pants, it's utter stupid, I'm going to Problematic actually... times with yeah, drawing? So the funniest thing is like you go into some kind of a state of depression, not a depression, just like you don't feel like... Yeah, so you don't feel like doing that yeah. anymore. You don't even want to hear about sketching or drawing objects and stuff. So then other opportunities arise where you feel like doing... For instance, now I feel like doing... Uh, Fun stuff like this podcast. Yes, but after that, I think I'm just going to go into the Mac side and okay, uh, try to uh, do Star Wars. Okay, like what Star Wars? Music wise, the logic. Yeah, that sounds cool. Just like an experiment, like a yeah, you know, exercise in exercise in uh, music composition. Yeah, basically, and uh, Mike Verda. The, yes, uh, uh, he's cool. Very good composer, in my opinion. Who should do the next Star Wars movies? Yeah, I wish they got um, him to do Star Wars. Honestly, because he's a huge fan and he knows his John Williams. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, man! Remember Perfect. that um, demo he put out mm-hmm. on his Vimeo? Yeah, of his kind of one of his suites that he wrote. Yeah, that's really good. That's stuff. very John Williams. But it's very John Williams. But it's nice because it's I believe like you know those kinds of things can be very nice like tributary. You know, kind yep. of like he's passing the torch. Yeah, you know, know he said he told him that he talked to Hans Zimmer, and Hans Zimmer yeah. was like, "But people don't, they don't like that." The problem is that the market really doesn't want that kind of music. Anymore. Yeah, but that's the same thing as saying like, "Oh, you know, flat design is great." That's true. It's Why? The same. Because the market likes flat design. That, that's true. I mean, but some guy steps in and is like, "Look at this not new li- design." Yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, "Awesome." But it's not like he's saying that it's bad. Obviously. Right, right. But he's just but, saying that like the trends, or not the trends, but the yeah, that's the current right. status of. Yeah, that's why classic that style of orchestras doesn't work. So anyway, Mike Verda said was one of the best things you can do if you want to practice is to copy actual music from composers you like. Mm -hmm. And trying to how do you what do you call it? Emulate, Emulate. but it's called like Uh, I would think (laughs) I always lose the word. I always lose the word. um, Transcribe to transcribe. But I think transcribing means. Literally listening to a song and then replicating it. That's what I would like to do. Yeah. But I'd like to make a little little twist, a little Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll like, try. I'll like try. I don't you, think I'll your, get it make your very own far. Song, but make it Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing, you know, trying to do yeah. music, but like, you know, you are the expert, Mark, but yeah. I'm just. Well, no, you know, no. I'm just a novice and I'm just trying to, you know, just trying to work it, just trying to figure it out. Here's because the thing I, I found out, though, with. Musical composition is cool. It's just that I don't know notes or anything like yeah. that, but man, I should learn that. But that's okay, you know? Just well, update myself what there. What I found out, though, with um, that is interesting because you are interested in that kind of music. That's weird, isn't it? You know? And that's the thing that gives you the, the leg up because you're going to listen to the songs in a different way and you're going you're gonna to kind of uh, pick out what parts work and what parts doesn't, and kind of what is the actual, um, what makes up a, an orchestral song. Well, thanks, because, you know? yeah. Because, like, I wouldn't do that, not, I mean, I probably could, you know, yeah, but, you don't have but I'm not interested yeah. in it, you know. Uh, and I think that's yeah. a core component. You have to be well, interested in yeah. it to, to really be able to advance. Other, so. Otherwise, you know, it'll be like a task, you know. It's like, oh, I have to learn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yeah. have to learn. Well, guess what? I've been doing that for the past, like, Two years, maybe I've been just listening to or scores. Whenever I listen to scores, I'm always like a, I'm just picking out what I can hear yeah. inside the the harmonies. Sweet, that's cool. Yeah, uh, and then I'd like to try to do. Okay, Stabu. good. Uh, 
Uh, so, Jacob, what is this podcast today about? This podcast is hey. the return of the Jake Corner. Oh, cool, presented cool. Presented by me, Jake. Yes. And back Philip, to, the listener. Back to Helm, the podcast. Steer and Helm, the project. Um, yeah, but you know, we can, you can chat a little more. We could. Kind of get, uh, get into the zone. I was thinking but, yeah. of doing updates at the end. Okay. Uh, because we're going to... That would make a good segue and transition to the little extra bit that we recorded, me yeah. and Luke, in an exclusive review of Batman v Superman. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, that would be something at so the we end. Can, we can so talk about more of like the multimedia business at the end. Yeah, we can do like more of the stuff. We and like updating or, maybe the movie I wanted I was trying to do. And wanted, yeah, nah. but in this case, like at the beginning, I could just say what I've been up to in the short term, which sure. is uh, you know just drawing, just doing the drawing, okay. not appreciating. <laughs> not appreciating warmth, your skills, the warmth, the warmth. Oh, and the and my skills. Yeah, I don't I don't appreciate those very much. But got to work it. Got to keep going. And uh, yeah, what about you? Uh, well, you've been uh, doing some music. I remember. Yeah, I practiced one day. Where's which was actually kind of fun. I did a um, I tried to see what it would what it would be like to if I had to make a song for a commercial. For instance, oh like, yeah, uh, I, like, remember uh, this. This I could play it actually. We could play it on the thing. <gasps> really? Yeah, why oh, not? That'd be good. Uh, just a bit of practice, just to see, like you know, because it's one thing making your own music for yourself and going to that world and trying to, you know, make what comes out of you. But uh, it's a different story when you have to let's say get an assignment or when you have to um, make something that you know is um, useful for an audience or useful for a market or useful for commercialization and product placement it's a whole different thing yeah, you know? yeah, and that's yeah. you know i have to say the people who make that stuff are really talented because they have to you know be attuned to what works and what doesn't and they're they're really good at their jobs because they can actually you know and it also production comes into that you know the yeah, type of yeah. production that goes into commercial um, music and stock music and that kind of stuff um is very specific very specific it's very uh differently mixed you know it's it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these days it's very compressy it's in your face it's loud and that those things aren't bad but they just work for the commercial stuff but anyway oh had a bit of fun i um you were gone that day was that you were gone oh that's right and you just did like a <laughs> whole thing yeah and right? i, and I cool. hammered it out yeah and i just i figured okay here's a cool idea so take a clip from youtube Take a commercial, any uh-huh. random commercial. I figured car commercial. So you got a car commercial. That sounds easy enough. I just typed in car commercial. No, Mercedes, <laughs> Perfect, Mercedes yeah. car commercial. Oh, Mercedes. So you're, you have some kind of... Couldn't think of any uh, car brands. Racist, racist. I picked a 2016 or 2015 commercial. And this is what I did. Ready? I watched the commercial muted. No, You didn't listen to it. I didn't want to listen to it because I didn't want to be influenced no, no, yeah, by the music. Yeah, yeah. So I figured better not to... Not to not to get any ideas beforehand, and I basically downloaded. It. I stole it from the internet. <laughs> oh no! I snatched a commercial out. Snatched it. Snatched it. You know, I popped into Logic and I figured, okay, what does a car commercial sound like? And it ended up, it sounded like to me like this.
But we're back. Hey, we're back. Beautiful. I love it. Thanks. It was so nice. Thanks. It was precise, concise. I, I thought it was actually kind of interesting. And how it works it, with the visuals. Yeah, if you saw the visuals, yeah, I thought it worked out pretty well. Honestly, like I was surprised because I thought it'd be hard. I thought like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to write stuff. But it's funny because like when you look at the visuals, it really ha- helps out uh, to get the cues cues down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. why I think scores are a little bit. Maybe I'm. I could be wrong. Maybe take less time. Well, they have to take less time. Uh, but listen to this. I got reminded, yeah, by people who write scores. I'm sure it helps to a degree having the movie to play off of because then you get ideas. You can go, oh, okay, this is a chase scene, or you know, this guy runs out over here. Maybe we can, you know, a cue can come in there that's quieter, right? And very, very it good. Yeah, what you wanted. Because I'm just not used to that. You know, I'm just used to sitting down and thinking up stuff. But definitely works out. I think it can help. Yeah. Yeah. So what else I do? Well, I thought it was interesting. I watched. Um, I like to rewatch every once in a while, every couple of years, The Office. Uh, I also rewatched. That's right, yeah. me and you. Yeah. So how did this start? You started. Well, this here's is, how it started. This is Ricky Gervais and Smurfs. Uh, unfortunately, it started. Remember, um, back in January. Back in January, when David Bowie 14. died. Remember that? Yeah. And I, rem- I remembered David Bowie was. In extras, yes, and I got reminded. Of course, the Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, yeah, post, show. the Post Office show. I remembered he was in extras, and that was really funny. You know that that bit in the extras. It's just called extras, right? There's no the. It's just no, extras. Just, just extras. You know? it's and just if you extras, haven't heard man. of extras, the premise is basically it follows a normal guy who seeks out fame. Well, who's an extra? He's an extra. And throughout the course of the series, you know, he he wants to be famous. He wants to make something. He wants to make it big, right? Yeah. But the whole the whole the whole idea behind the show is that they're actual, you know, celebrities, actually known actors in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That play really mean versions of themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who Every you know, episode. who are annoying and who are proud of themselves, and so they talk to the extras like little people and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. And so I went to watch that again because I. I thought I haven't seen it in like maybe nine years. I think it's a good show. I really like the show. Extras, um, funny it's stuff. Big crass, isn't it? Cra- big crass. crass. Uh, I mean, there's moments, of course. Yeah, there's moments that are you know crass. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's a pretty good show. It's worth watching. It's worth watching because I like like we stick to the it comedy. The end. Th- this is the weird thing with me is that for some reason I'm just one of those guys who has a hard time. Laughing at stuff. I'm not one of those people who can really easily laugh at things. You're the guy who would probably just go. <laughs> but the thing is, I wish I could laugh. It kind of makes me sad sometimes because, like, I wish I could find things more funny. I just don't know why I don't. Right. You know? It's just I'm naturally inclined to laugh at certain things, and they have to be very specific. They have like, to be circumstantial. I think this is probably why I like inside jokes. To me, end up being a little funnier because it involves, you know, your friends and it involves. You know, other people, and it's not like a, a show or something. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know. So that's the weird thing. Is so it's when I say, let's say, extras is funny. Um, it's funny, but it's hard for me to laugh a lot of times. But you know, the story, the story is good. I think. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The his, friendship, the friendship, his his move to fame and figuring yes. out that this is what he wanted. Yeah, the because he wanted a different kind of yes. fame. Ah, and yeah, uh, all that. There's a nice kind of reminder, you know. Little it's kind fat of story. Man. Office, watch that as well. Little fat man who sold his dreams. 
little no um, chubby little loser. <laughs> what was that again? Depressed that he was hated. <laughs> How do you take? Should we go with Fat Thaddy or Fatso? Fatso, yeah. Fatso Fat takes his own life. life. Blows his stupid punk. brains out. Oh man. Ah, See okay. his pug nose face. Pug, <laughs> pug, pug. <laughs> See his pug nose face. Ow. Pug, <laughs> Yeah, and that was, yep, there we go. And then you went, moved on to then the office. office. Because the office is more classic, in my opinion. The original one. The original, we're the not UK talking office. About the no, NBC. We're not talking about the American one. The British office, classic show. I liked it so far the <laughs> best. This is the best time I liked I liked it so far even better think, than the last yeah, time I watched it. When you're older, you you understand. Like when I was watching it, because I saw yeah. you watching, I was like, "Man, I haven't seen The Office in like four years, mm-hmm. so I should just go and watch it myself as well." Rewatch it, and I was rewatching it, and I noticed that since I'm older, yeah, I kind of related to most of the situations and understood right? them. Yeah, and so it was a different experience. Yeah, ah. I think that's that's what The Office gets right. Observational humor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. really gets down the moments but it's great because it's also um the story you know of course is slightly fictionalized oh yeah it's not something that's going to be completely of course life based but it's a show that i think what helps the most is that documentary style that they went for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that really yeah. kind of glues everything together to not and make it help fiction. ricky gervais look at the camera because <laughs> he's not you know, he's, hey, he's out of cool. control. This is cool, though. Ricky Gervais, right, like, he does tend to do the same stuff. But look, Ricky Gervais himself said that. <laughs> so, it's okay. Yeah. He, he plays David Brent. He's the David Brent Meister. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The movie came out, did you hear Vis-a-vis that? Vis-a-vis for you. Huh? You could be hot seat. Hot seat. Yeah, I didn't see the trailer, did you? No. I don't know anything about it. I didn't even know it was released. What do you think about Luke that? Luke said he watched it. Luke from London. Luke from London. Our friend Luke from Jolly Old London. Yep, Jolly Old London. <laughs> what do you think about um, equality? Things street. like that. Fine. Like going I mean, back. it depends. It depends. Depends on how you treat it, how it's executed. Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? For me, when you look at shows like The Office, Ricky Gervais said it best in the making of. They asked him, you know, would you do an- another series? And he goes, we mustn't. We mustn't do another series. That's so true. With these kinds of shows that end like they do, that tie up all the knots, mm-hmm. that do it so nicely into this neat package, yeah. you mustn't go back and ruin it. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, and it's it's very tempting. You know, after like 20 years to go, hey, what if we got continued? the old crew back? Or even even the you know retros- not the retrospective, the where are they now stuff. I don't know, man. You know, like that to me is an interesting idea because not that it's an interesting idea to talk about. Going back and changing stuff or adding stuff, and no, you know, not a big fan of that. Yeah, not a big fan of that. Okay. And then I finally watched again our good friend Spaced. 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 I like Spaced. I didn't finish. I didn't watch that one. I just watched no. Extras and The Office, and maybe I will go to Spaced because, you know, because you started it. Yeah. So I might have to go and watch it again. Totally. Um, so how was that experience? Yeah, it's interesting because spaced. Is it different now? Because I kind I feel like I remember most of these things in the in space, so I didn't watch it. You feel like you remember most of it? Yeah, so I don't feel like I don't feel drawn to watch mm-hmm. it very much. But well, why not? You why know? not? That's what I thought. Yeah. No, it's interesting because spaced is um, pretty different. <laughs> after watching extras in Office, both Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, spaced 
completely different stylistically. <laughs> yeah. It's obviously getting at some of those realistic aspects as well, but ultimately it is um, highly fictionalized and highly um, stylized, and it's more of a fun show, I think. It's less of yeah. a... It's less yeah. of a... And it, of course, there's the characters are good, and there's some good stuff in there, but it's ultimately just... Um, Edgar Wright style stuff. You know Edgar what Wright style stuff. Like, yeah. So that's <laughs> pretty much for me. Me yeah, rambling. Yes, so that's all you did, huh? Well, that's fine. I mean, you know, we all have our slow days. Putting off stuff. So, so what are we doing today? Weeks. I don't know. It's today? it's your show, man. I'm My just show. I'm just along for the ride. This is making comments, would be cool. making comments, and pretending Jacob's not alone. Today, when he's talking. I thought it'd be fun to have a whole so episode dedicated to Batman vs Superman. <sighs> <laughs> so where's the movie start? No, no, no. Yeah, I, I skipped even talking about it. Yeah, Isn't that great. Isn't that great. No, my idea today is for my episodes. I thought it would be cool once in a while, or maybe even like a series. I don't know how it's going to go. I like to read. You like reading? I like to you read nerd. articles. You nerd. Uh, from various sites, I find like, people like I follow. Buzzfeed Twitter. and Gawker. Definitely. 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 Gawker's number one. What is Gawker even? I don't know. Uh-huh. It's like a news site. No, I like to read in the evenings. And, you know, it's a Cosmo reading Polish. in itself is an amazing experience, especially when you're alone. You know, when you're alone, you have time. In the time. dark. <laughs> dun, dun, when dun, you're alone, dun. you have time to gather your thoughts. You have time to explore ideas. You know what I mean? You have time to just read Undivided concentration. Ooh, that's what I like, you know. And sometimes it's hard to get there. Yeah, I blazed through all those Star Wars books. But but here's the thing. But you you were reading when you you know when, before you went to bed or wherever, right? Yeah. You were obviously getting into it. I mean, you were yes, getting I was. into the world, right? Yeah, I looked. That's the thing. Yeah. I looked at the uh, you know the window outside, and I was noticing it was getting blue again. And I was very upset, but I didn't want to finish reading because I want to see what happened to the film. See, that's the thing. And so reading is um, quite. Uh, can be quite an extraordinary experience, and really just to you know, um, read. For me, reading is like yeah, being honest with yourself in trying to understand ideas you're interested in, trying to understand mm-hmm. uh, concepts, mm-hmm. trying to hear people's stories, hear people's views, yeah. and compare it to your own. Well, yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, and it's nice what's because great about it is that it stays on record on the text. That's that's the best part. And good. yeah, yeah, reading is great, and I, I, you know, sometimes come across really good pieces, and sometimes I come across um, interviews or things like that, which I think are have some interesting things that we could talk about. So today, I, not today, but a couple of months ago, I finally came across yeah. some good articles I thought would be fun to talk about. Oh yeah, okay, go for it. And read man. Uh, certain yeah, go excerpts for it, man. Uh, because uh, these are things that I find interesting. Are they? Are they really? Are these things you find interesting? Well, yes, they are. All right. You know? I mean, I mean, yeah. Cool, dude. Come on. Woo! Before we begin, I have to make a couple disclaimers. Okay. The first disclaimer is very simple. And I think a guy I really like on the internet called Mike McCarg wrote on Twitter. Mike McCargo. Mike McCarg. McCargo. Otherwise known as Science Mike. Cool. That's a Pokemon, though. But Macargo. Really? Macargo? Yeah. Well, that's perfect. There you go. And I thought he summed it up. I really like his work. He, his Twitter bio, I think, sums it up best. People call me Science Mike, Christian turned atheist turned Jesus follower. Spiritual and skeptical. 
So if you if you remember me mentioning a podcast called The Liturgists, Mike is on the show, The Liturgists. Okay. He also has a show called Ask Science Mike podcast. What? Ask Science Mike. Ask Science. Okay. Very cool. I mean, honestly, like his writing and the stuff he's done with the podcasts and his series on his website um, is called The Doubt Series, where he goes and talks about basically doubt, right? And help me a bunch. Um, he writes. He writes on Twitter, very simply, and he's brilliant. By the way, he's so smart when it comes to this stuff. Science. He's a yes, science Mike, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And his Hello, whole I'm his fine, whole stick is he has he's had an amazing experience. He talks about it on the liturgist shows. Um, basically, in the end, is that you know a lot of times there's a debate that goes on between oh you know Christianity or, or science and religion, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we yeah. can't. Oh, they're not compatible, oh, right? Oh, we can't do it. Can't the thing do is. It. Of course they are. They're two different things, right? And for for Mike, um, he's come to the conclusion that really, and obviously his view is a little bit more out there, but, you know, like I said, spiritual and skeptical. So he finds that um, believing in Im- some immaterial things is fine, but at the same time, being skeptical is a natural inclination. Yeah. Being skeptical is actually a very good thing sometimes, you know what I mean? To go, okay, you know. Let's look at the evidence. Let's look at things, how they add up, and mm-hmm. make up our minds. But very cool stuff. I like his approach. is cool. Um, he had one time uh, a quote on one of his podcasts, which is basically, you know, you know, I think we get sometimes we have a habit, at least people like me or, I don't know, people who like to think about um, kind of tough ideas. Tough ideas, tough concepts. We sometimes feel like we have to get at, like, one hundred percent conclusion at these things. Like we have to find there has to be like one hundred. Well, isn't that a natural, answer. natural human thing? Absolutely, to want to do. absolutely, absolutely. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Okay. I can't, I can't. Uh, yeah, you know, and it's uh, it's funny because um, science shows that human brains are naturally biased. Well, we were all naturally biased, but one of the things we seek is. Uh, confirmation. What do you think? Confirmation, but what do you think? Like um, the truth. The truth. Not just the truth, but we seek um, answers. Basically, we want oh resolve. We want, for instance, just to for things to make sense. Our brains want things to make sense, and sometimes our brains actually make sense when there isn't any sense to be made. Which is amazing. I mean, these things to me like are like yeah. I mean, like you know, when you think wow. I need to take it back a couple steps. Why? What happened? Just my rambling. Oh. It wasn't going very well. <laughs> I thought I was like... Was... What? Gone. So yeah, the tweet. Very simple. Just so we're all clear, I have no idea what I'm doing. Science Mike. Was that, was that, the, was that the, the quote? That was the tweet, yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing? Yeah. Oh. And it's great. I mean, it's so true. I mean, I think that's a great place for any of us to start. Well, yeah, and so I would just like to—I would just like to echo that and say, please remember that I have absolutely no clue what I'm talking about, but mm-hmm. I think it'd be fun to talk about these things uh, anyway. Well, you're in the right place. What do you think about that, Philip? What do you think? Well, you're in the right place, I guess. Yep. So I have right two place. articles. Okay, let's see. I would love to talk about. All right, go for it. I see. There's Plato. Plato's there. Plato, and Aristotle. No, 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 that's Socrates. I think this is Socrates is Plato's. I think this is Plato and, and Aristotle. Yes, Aristotle pointing to the ground and Plato 
pointing to the heavens, yeah. to the immaterial. He's like, what's that up there? What, anyway, this isn't about Plato. What's that? What's that? But aliens. Two articles, right? I think aliens are there. No, oh, no, they come from the ground. Earthworms. Earthworms are aliens. What's that from? Uh, I'm making this up. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, go for it, man. No problem. Do you want me to just spoil it? Go for it. Okay, read it. Why musicians need Picasso. Pinocchio. Philosophy. Philosophy. <laughs> I, it's far away. <laughs> go on, go on. First article is called Why Musicians Need Philosophy. The second article is called Scuba Diving in the Infosphere. Two very different articles, very different subjects. Different places? But both, no, very different subjects. I know, I know, but like, is it different? Uh, oh, pl- uh, sources? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, different sources. Ooh, okay, go on. Okay, so the first article is called Why Mu- Sorry. Take a little cry. My beer. Uh, Why Musicians Need Philosophy. This article is by a English philosopher named Roger Scruton. Ever heard of him? No. I'm sorry. He did... <laughs> So first of all, another disclaimer is that I haven't read any of these philosophers' works, just heard of them, um, and read, you know, various pieces by them. Uh, Roger Scruton is, one thing I know him by is he did a documentary for the BBC a couple years ago Mm -hmm. called Why Beauty Matters. Okay. And... Very intriguing. You're gonna have to link all these things. Oh yeah, totally. This okay. is this is a link. <laughs> this is gonna be a show. link heavy uh, episode here. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, episode. It's an hour long. It's a documentary. And basically, Scruton is kind of making the case for um, why beauty does matter. It is is beauty an objective thing or a subjective thing? Oh my! Scruton is arguing oh for objectivity. Yeah. And so throughout the the show, he kind of goes and tries to see some of the history of art. And then he goes and asks, does some interviews with artists, you know, yeah. talks about the famous, for instance, the urinal. Remember the artist who signed yeah, his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. Things like that. So quite an ancient documentary. I know that urinal um, from the uh, Carl Pilkington talking was about it? it. Oh, yeah. Were they talking about art and stuff like so that? So it just goes back to Ricky Gervais. You see back it? to Ricky Gervais. Um, okay, go on. Yeah, show uh, was pretty good. Now, I have to admit, Scruton is, he does tend to kind of... I mean, even in this article, uh, he does tend to, t- tend to take a kind of lofty position where he's, lofty. you know, he's sort of, he's putting himself in the position of kind of a traditionalist, kind of a Western traditionalist. Okay. And he's very much, his perspective, especially if you read, let's say, his articles or watch the episode, Why Beauty Matters, he tends to take this kind of almost, you know, like, ooh, you know, all these other people doing strange things these days, you know, they don't know what true art is uh-huh. and things like that. So uh-huh. I, I have to say it is a bit of, he doesn't seem to leave too many kind of um, spots open for, you know. Discussion. <laughs> no, well, discussion, well, he does want to discuss it, but he ultimately kind of derives it. He already made his mind up, maybe. Yeah, he made his, oh, for sure, yeah, he made his mind up, but he tends to put a little bit too much emphasis on kind of these classical works of art or maybe what we assume are um, kind of traditional traditional uh, works of art and he tends to take this kind of position and so for instance in the article Why a Musician Needs Philosophy what I found interesting was some of the ideas he mentions which are in a way kind of springboards for other ideas to talk okay. about so the article in itself does have that Scrutonian vibe <laughs> right, where it's yeah. very kind of and I'm not obviously you know 
I, I don't want you to think that, for instance, like, oh, Roger Scruton is the best guy. I haven't honestly read, you know, any of his stuff, so I don't know. But from what I've read, um, it can tend to be a little bit too, um, yeah, too lofty, basically. Uh, anyway, so in the piece, what he's doing mm-hmm. here is his argument, his main argument, is basically um, talking about what state music is in, basically, mm-hmm. and how should we um, approach music uh, in terms of what it is and what its purpose is, and kind of, it again comes back to the objectivity subjectivity debate yeah. in art. And so, and he also kind of combines it with um, some ideas of a philosopher I don't have never heard of, but basically pitting against this kind of, um, I suppose, like a postmodern, postmodern approach to to music. Okay. So the best way I think to cover it is that obviously I can't sum up a lot of these things very easily. So I will read some quotes from the article. All right, go for it. I think are good. But let me remember what he's mentioning. How does he start this out again? Okay, yeah. So he starts out the article a little bit by, again, like I mentioned earlier, a little bit taking too much of this kind of things that are new are a little bit are bad because they're different and because they are um, they're separating themselves from these traditional Tradi- traditional traditions, isn't that going? Yeah, <laughs> traditional, traditional traditions. Traditional um, ways of writing music or playing music. Yeah. So he's talking, obviously, at the beginning about how modern music is digital. Modern music uh-huh. is at the press of a button. You can make these, you know, musical pieces, and that's not really what it's about. And he even, he even goes to say, you know, things like, today's music, uh, you know, is in complete avoidance of melody and harmony and uh, rhythm, kind of the the these tones that we, that we come out like think of like modern uh, dubstep yeah what it became later yeah that kind of yeah 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 that's what he's talking about basically is that modern music tends to put a huge emphasis right. on noises right yeah and, and to, a, to a degree I think he's right I mean modern music does tend to do that but I think again to start off the, the piece he's a little bit taking too much of a um, old good new bad approach but that's how he starts at the piece mm-hmm. so here he's mentioning Similarly, like he did in his um, show, Why Beauty Matters, is talking about things that we see in the world that are creatively made, like architecture, for instance. Oftentimes, we take architecture for granted, and we think, okay, you know, these things are built mainly probably just to serve certain functions. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, that's not true. Ultimately, uh, the reason people make architectural buildings... Uh, is that it comes from ideas, right? And ideas yes. are rooted in some worldview, in some philosophy, uh-huh. right? And so he's talking about how when we look at things like architecture, there is philosophy behind it. There are, you know, there's thought that goes into it, and there's a base kind of idea of why should we make that and how should we make it, the intention, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the first quote. So he talks about architecture, he talks about there's meaning behind it. He says, there is a philosophy behind this stuff. And if ordinary people protest that it doesn't look right, that it doesn't fit in, or that it is offensive to all natural standards of visual harmony, they will be answered with fragments of that philosophy, in which abstract concept extinguish the demands of visual taste. So here he's talking basically about, I didn't mention earlier, was that, um, let's say we took a modern architecture, right? There is some kind of philosophy behind that modern architecture. So the people who made modern architecture are coming from a certain perspective, right? 
And so he's saying that, for instance, when we look at certain things that are offensive to all natural standards of visual harmony, right? So mm-hmm. he's saying, like, naturally we are inclined to things that we think are good. So, for instance, like, I remember in his show he mentioned people say gravitate towards a more cozy and warm environment yeah. in a building versus, let's say, like a really cold, modernistic, empty space with, like, you know, concrete floors yeah, like and John stuff Wick. like that. John Wick's house. John Wick's house. <laughs> Something like that, Because it represents right? his loss. Yeah. And so Scruton is saying basically that um, these kind of more um, modern things, modern, let's say, buildings or music or whatever, he says, see, um, those questions we have, like, why do we not like these things naturally? He says they will be answered with fragments of that philosophy in which abstract concepts extinguish the demands of visual taste. Basically... What I think he's saying is that, um, and it's funny because I remember I was looking up when I was watching um, Spaced. Remember yes. Brian? Brian in Spaced? Hello, Brian. He's I'm a conceptual artist, right? <laughs> I was like, what is that? What is conceptual art? And I looked it up, and conceptual art is basically this. It's um, abstract concepts, they, they are more important than the aesthetic concept of a piece. So, for instance, conceptual art is, you know, you put a phone in a room, in a red background? In a red, the red background. And, <laughs> and it's a green on the floor with paint. Yes. And then instead of the art speaking to you directly, you have to go, someone would have to explain to you, like, this is about the nature of how we're isolated in society. And, uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so the concept, the abstract, abstract concept, is more important, takes precedence over the aesthetic, over yeah. the actual look. Yeah. Instead of the look working and telling you okay. what it's trying to say. So that's where he's starting out first, saying these kind of... Um, modernistic ways um, tend to do that where they're like, the, the concept is more important. He says, these buildings, they will be told, provide a pioneering use of space, are breaking new ground in build form, are an exciting challenge to the orthodoxies resonate with, and resonate with modern life. But just why these properties are virtues and just how they make themselves known in the result are questions that receive no answer. So he's saying that uh, these new types of, or these kind of modern types of, should we say, art, are saying, you know, it's new, we're pioneering new ground, we're doing great things, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, uh, what is the foundation of those ideas? Hard to tell. You know, hard uh, to tell. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Uh, what else do? Let's see, he goes on and to talk a little bit about that. This is an interesting part, too. So he says this. Without the firm foundations provided by a live culture of music-making, philosophy is the only guide that we have. And when good philosophy is absent, bad philosophy steps into the gap. Oh. I think that makes sense. Okay. So so. so we have to come up with an answer, basically. saying what can we do? This kind of art, what kind of answer is there, right? And so here he mentions... Um, uh, let's see, this is, uh, the work's example of this and an example of whose influence is almost as, as strong today as it was in the aftermath of the Second World War is Theodore Adorno's Philosophy of New Music, first published in 1947. In that book, Adorno develops the philosophy of a major composer who almost succeeded in doing what Wagner happily failed to do, which was to replace the reality of music by an abstract idea of it. Okay. Schoenberg's... <laughs> Schoenberg's... Twel- Schoenberg? Schoenberg's 12-tone serialism 
was based on a set of ideas that are clearly disputable, but which, because of the pretense of system, could overwhelm the hesitant objections of mere music lovers. Here are some of those ideas. So basically, um, this writer, Theodore Adorno, is kind of coming up with a manifesto of how music should be made. So he's rejecting the traditional ways of, of making music and what its purpose was before, and giving um, a new theory of how music should be made. And here, basically, that writer... Are you lost, by the way, or no? What's the theory? What theory? The, the theory he's going to propose. Oh, okay, the theory he's proposing is, is um, things like... Um, Let's say, the diatonic scale arranges pitches which could be arranged in other ways and still be used to make intelligible and enjoyable music. Okay. So pitches, use whatever as long as it's enjoyable or good. Melodies could be constructed with, without the use of scales and without a mode or key. Oh the my. The 12 notes of the chromatic scale could be used in such a way that no one of them emerges as tonic. This is complicated musical theory, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, harmonies constructed as simultaneities will abolish the distinction between consonants and dissonance. So whatever, he's basically saying that music is whatever we create it to be. We can make music any way we want as long as it's enjoyable, blah, blah, blah. So there isn't necessarily a foundation behind it. It's whatever, right. whatever works, right? Uh-huh. And um, so, so far, I don't want it to make it sound like I'm completely agreeing with everything Scruton says. I'm just trying to read it you know, as, as if, you know... Um, I'm trying to read it in the best possible light, you know, what his arguments are. And so, so far, he's making the case, right, that modern art or modern things have have taken, have abandoned the traditional sense of art, some kind of traditional values and kind of traditional, tra- traditional foundations for whatever goes, right? And so, so far, I mean, I think that um, not necessarily a terrible thing, at face value, I think. And it's obviously a complex discussion when you talk about music and things like that. But, you know, I, I mean, I would say, yeah, I mean, it's good to make different, uh, to make music how you want to. I don't think it's good to limit music per se, right? But we're getting to the, to the, to the meat of the matter, which is what does this whole thing hinge upon, right? Yes. These kind of two separating things, this kind of foundational value stuff and whatever goes, right? What mm-hmm. does it hinge upon? Well, it hinges upon the entire conversation of whether art has some objectivity or not, right? That's back ultimate, to that. Didn't you and Tim talk about that? Yeah, it was great. Me and Tim were talking while playing Minecraft about um, that exactly. What is art? What is it? And is it objective? Can, we, can it be objective or not? Or is it completely subjective? So he goes on to say, we mentioned some of these assumptions of this um, Adorno fellow. All those assumptions involve an arbitrary intrusion of abstract thought into a realm of empirical knowledge, thereby upsetting wisdom that had been slowly acquired over centuries and which was not in any sense the product of a single brain. By the way, if you need help, am I explaining this okay? No, yeah. Tell me, by the way, if it's bad. It's good. Do do you get what's going on so far? Maybe. Shall Shall we recap? Yeah. Okay. So basically, <laughs> but I could be I could be by the way butchering this whole thing. Oh, and that's why I said at the beginning, don't know what I'm talking about, but it's interesting. But y- yeah, yeah, butchering yeah. the whole thing. Uh, to recap, I think what the piece is saying so far is that we have in the modern world um, a very different sense of creating art, right? And I think most people would probably <laughs> agree. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go ahead. What do you want to say? 
No, it's good. I'm just okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just giving. No, please comment if if you have any thoughts. Okay. It'd be great. Um, I think what he's saying so far is that in the modern world, um, we have various ways of creating art, and art isn't anymore connected to that many traditions, so to speak. Yeah, right? so yeah. So now yeah. we can make, you know, a brand new genre on your computer. Do whatever you want, no problem, right? And so this this whole new way of doing things, mm-hmm. and he's specifically saying in the '40s with this guy called Adorno. Bringing in Adorno. these, he's bringing in basically saying, okay, the new foundation of music isn't going to actually, there isn't going to actually be a foundation to music, any philosophical grounding behind music. Yeah, go ahead. It's not delivery, it's Adorno. <laughs> <laughs> that should Sorry, be, that should be a subtitle of that, of that guy's book. It's not delivery, oh, man. it's Adorno's. So Adorno is saying, throughout the window, any kind of philosophical grounding, any objectivity of art, let's start with. Anything goes. That's what Adorno is saying. See what I'm saying? So he's saying anything goes, right? Yes. So so far it sounds pretty good, right? Like why yeah. not? Why not anything goes? Right? Yeah, yeah. Like who cares, right? Um, okay. But ultimately the problem is this. So he's bringing he's bringing in a new philosophy from a different philosophy. That's what I said earlier: is good philosophy can be replaced by a bad philosophy, right? And I think he mentions later that. Um, I don't think I quoted it. He mentioned uh, philosophy. If you have a philosophical view, right, mm-hmm. it can only be driven up by another philosophical view. So it doesn't. There is no. Which I think makes sense ultimately. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't believe the philosophy is the only part of experiencing life. I think that there's more to it than that. But it's true when we're talking about arguments. When we're talking about mm, a lot of these abstract ideas, and um, we could even say you know metaphysical concepts. That yeah, I mean like. There has to be, uh-huh. you have to be coming from a perspective, from a worldview. I remember someone told me a long time ago, uh, this was back in um, high school. Someone told me, I think the best worldview is not to have a worldview. Okay. And I thought, and I was wondering, and that always stuck with me. I thought, that's, because at the moment, at the time I was thinking like, oh no, I'm doing something wrong. I'm having a worldview, but maybe he's right. Maybe, yeah, no worldview is better because then you can pick and choose. But the funny thing is that that statement, the best worldview is not having a worldview, is, is in itself a worldview. Yeah. Do you get it? No. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> no. So what I mentioned earlier was that someone told me the best yes. worldview, the best worldview is not is having one. Not having one, yeah. right? Okay. And that, what do you think about that? Like, not, not, gen- not general, but does it... Does I don't it, know how that even works. No, I'm saying, like, does it make sense? Like, could that be possible? Like, yeah, that could be possible. Don't have a worldview, but just pick out... I don't think it's choose. possible. Okay, that's interesting. I don't think it's possible because there has to be something that fills it in. It's just like saying... Exactly, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I'm saying that statement isn't in itself a view, is in itself a worldview. So yeah, this comes yeah. back to the idea that, yeah, like if you have an idea, um, let's say in philosophy, um, if you have... Uh, if, if you take that out and say, okay, that's not true, you have to fill in the gap with something else, right? A different argument. So that's where we are so far, is that we have this kind of modern view and we have this traditional view. And he's saying, Adorno, throughout the window, um, the traditional views, right? Yeah, take that. So now, Scruton has some, has some things to say about that. Okay. Um, let's see what he says. Okay, this is a good line, I think. He says, I don't know, he mentioned another name here, but I forgot who he's talking about. But anyway, it's not important at the moment. All that we have received from Darmstadt, don't know who that is, and its successors, is a reiteration of the cliches introduced by Adorno. Mention him. 
in particular the cliché that musical organization in our tradition is fundamentally arbitrary and can be remade according to other rules, while engaging the perceptions and interests that have emerged over centuries in the concert hall. So here what's going on is saying, okay, wait a second, so we throw out everything, right? We can do whatever we want. But why is it still that we're messing around with a lot of these musicalities and things that we've already built up through the centuries. Right, right. So, for instance, Adorno might be like, forget about it, let's make whatever you want, it doesn't matter, there's no foundation, but I'm still going to go and make classical music. Yeah. So Scruton is saying, wait a second, if you're throwing that out, maybe you should rethink what's going on here. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe there is something behind these um, arts that have developed through the centuries. You with me so far? Uh-huh. Good. Yes. I'm this, with you. This is the kicker right here, I think. This is the line I think that's really important when it comes to this whole discussion. And this kind of like is the springboard. Goes on to talk about this, right? And he says, Scruton, the diatonic scale is one of a number of modes derived from, for instance, medieval church music. And its history is not a history of arbitrary invention, but one of gradual discovery. So Scruton is saying, what we've learned so far in music, he's mentioning church history. Again, Scrutonian loftiness <laughs> comes okay, in. Yeah. But I mean, it's true. It's true. It's very yes. true. You look at church uh, history music, I don't know anything about it. But we get the sense. This is kind of the, you know, we think of Renaissance, the Renaissance and prior to that. There is this discovery of how we make music. So this is the important part, this idea of discovery. And this comes back to the argument. Is art, in this case music, is it something that we discover in the world or is it something we invent for ourselves? And so that's, <sighs> that's the ultimate a, that's question. It's a tough question, right? Well, my position in the end is that I think it's a discovery. I think music and art and aesthetics and all these things are a discovery. Okay. And so that comes, for me, that comes because I believe in God. And if God exists, that's my starting point. And I say, okay, if God exists and he has, of course, his definition uh, we have a definition of God, for instance, like he's perfect, right? Uh, then for me, I go, okay, well, that makes sense to me. And therefore, there has to be a certain way the world is created in where we can discover these things that mm-hmm. God made. Yeah. So that's my starting point. Yeah, but then other people would, would say, which will you will undoubtedly get with their Facebook comments yeah. now. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's something that, you know, because of the human mind uh, being being the people that they are, yep. uh, they uh, they would it would be something that was invented. You see, God, you're, no, you're inventing music because that's uh, just right. random sounds yes. uh, being put together in a way that just works for the human mind. Yeah, like like well, for instance, like. Um, Let's say if we say God doesn't exist, so it's been developed by civilization, cultures, and tribes, and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, totally. That is an objection. That is yeah. the whole thing. I'm just being, you know, devil's avocado. That's good. I'm glad you are because it's an interesting point to make. Yeah, because you you need someone else to talk to you about this. Yeah, do it. Because I'm just sitting. I don't know. But it's good. You did a good thing. You said a good objection, and it's true. Maybe it is that way. Maybe it is the case that. Um, through natural process of evolution and so forth, we've come to the point where it's like, this makes sense for us as a human culture. But what I'm saying is that I think that, yeah, that definitely plays a role in, in it. So biologically, chemically, whatever, we um, basically, yes, that could be true. But again, 
for me, it makes more sense to say, okay, if it's discoverable, to me that gives me some kind of answer to the question of why, again, why does beauty matter? Why do we like certain things and don't like other things? Why is there harmony apart from disharmony and things like that? Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, for me, it seems there's like, a lot of different yeah. things. But this comes stems from my if I think that God exists, then I think that when I look at the world, it makes more sense to view it that way and think, okay, yeah, you know, if this God created the world in this way then he's designed it in a certain way that we can discover such really cool things in the world. And so it comes back again to this idea of, is it objective, is it subjective? Well, for me, again, it seems to make more sense um, that there is some kind of ideal that we're striving for in art. So when we talk about like quality of art or what we like or we don't like, it seems like there is some kind of strand of truth that goes through all these ideas which are universal, which we gravitate towards, which uh -huh. we like, and which move us, and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, it seems like it's more of a discovery process. It's more of a process of, okay, yeah, you know. Um, now, the big question right, but is... What, but yeah. the thing is, like, what if that dis this discovery process yeah. was just something that was created because of right but we're not talking about human that. We're, nature we're talking about ultimately we're talking about what is our position starting point what's our starting point so some will say um basically the world is physical material materialistic and that's what you're talking about like the view yeah is that therefore we're playing by the rules of the material world we're saying yep evolution speaking that's how it, that's how we evolved that's how we interpret music and that's why we like it yep. right that's the, but that's assuming materialism. See what I'm saying? Right. I'm saying, no, I don't want to assume materialism. I'm going to assume that there is something more to the material world because I think, because at least I can't say, I don't have a great argument for it, but at least in my life... I think the, the problem is yeah. that inherently you won't have a good argument. Well, you might, but I mean, like, it's, I'm yeah. just saying that because it's... It's, you know, you can't test it, you can't verify no, it, you not, can't... Yeah. Um... That's the thing, like, with, with this whole thing is, like, for me, I'm not really here, I don't want to make, um, like, these are philosoph philosophical arguments you can get into and watch debates. Well, that's the thing, it's like, like that. that's the infinite, read, of infinite course, yeah. conundrum. Yeah, yeah. Conundrum. the infinite um, mm. question. Um, yeah, and I'm not trying to do that here, I'm not trying to, like, I, that's why I really don't want to, like, get into, like, Facebook arguments and stuff like that. Because, you will. Because you in the will. end, it's... There, this stuff has been talked about so many times. <laughs> it has, yes. And, you can, and I'm not, can look at a not, lot of different... That's not very interesting to me because we're not then getting it. For me, it's like, my ultimate question is, what can I find out that will help me live a better life? And not necessarily, uh -huh. um, you know, finding these metaphysical truths. Um, and so for me, I just assume certain things. Now, of course, I'm not... It's not random. I don't think I'm just going like, oh, yeah, it's fine. That's why, for instance, going back to Mike Mike McCarg's um, Science Mike's um, uh, blog series, the Doubt series. Yeah, you know that that's for me. That was a huge a huge deal when I was um, a little younger. Is asking those questions, going, "What? Wait a second. Did I just pick this up? You know, from my parents? Did I just, um, you know, what is is there an actual any validity to what I'm thinking? Mm -hmm. um, but since then. Yeah, those arguments are, are interesting to get into, but I think that those arguments, I have such a hard time believing that those arguments are going to make you go, yep, 
that's what I think, and I'm going to live myself because the right, arguments, yeah, you the can't arguments. Just do that, and it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, arguments play a part in it, but in the end, it's what actually do you think is true, and what have you experienced that's true? So that's where I'm coming from, basically, is that I think that, um, yeah. So, but what's interesting about this is because we can talk about this now, and we can say, oh, you know, is it a process of discovery or is it a process of of invention? And so now they have two different, totally different approaches, right? So some people might say. Yeah, on inventing it, uh, anything goes. But then we can talk about this stuff, and it's kind of interesting to see that yeah, there's some there's some cases we made that th- there might be some kind of yes. you know pro- uh, grounding to it. Yeah, you know, I agree with you yeah. that because I think that. But the funny thing is, that the world looks exactly the same. Well, <laughs> objectively, yeah, like we're talking it's, about. It's but about the the assumptions are different. So we're a starting point. I say, oh yeah. Um, it, we're discovering it, and someone else would be like, "No, no, no, we're inventing it because this is all arbitrary, anyways." Right. And I'm saying, "Well, I don't think it's arbitrary." Yeah. For me, there there that's has it. to be some kind of a. Right. At least that's how I live my life. Then someone's gonna be like, "Well, prove it. Go out there and prove it. Go read. Go read. <laughs> go read books." You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I think it's more interesting to talk about that and what you know. What, how, what I've how learned does it influence our lives. Like yeah. how we live. What you know? I've learned. Growing yeah. a little bit up, yes, is that you can't like I am n- never yes, going to be a hundred percent. You mentioned that at the beginning, you know, we don't know anything, yeah. and that's the big thing. Well, you can argue that you do, but For once sure. someone says I know everything, you don't know anything. Totally, I feel like, and I'm not saying that like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because like I think that I'm not. I don't mean that like you know at the end on the, in this in the core, yeah, the core. you can't because the world is so infinite. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much more to learn and a human being in this big wide world. Yeah, I mean, and that's another, that's an interesting everything. actually conversation. And that's why I say, you know, you never say never. You never make a conclusive, Yeah. you know, because you can't. No, you can't. So, yeah. I, and that, that's I, a good, I don't know That's a good I'm place, yeah, about. to start is basically, but that, that's what I'm saying. That's why um, when you look at these like we talked about the arguments and stuff like that, is that, yeah, and, and that's an interesting conversation too, is that uh, we have limited minds, you know what I mean, as humans. And some people would say, you know, we, well, I mean, most of us, I hope, would say that we can't know everything, like yeah. you said. Um, but then, you know, the arguments can still go on. Yeah, but but I think that degrees of knowledge the part that's most important then is at the end is that, I suppose, is going through this experience we call life is what do you hold most important like what is your like that's what that's what kind of interests me is like what makes you tick what uh, motivates you to do things you know what I mean and those are the kinds of questions I think we all have to you know kind of ask ourselves and go yeah you know what is it that moves me not talking about this lofty philosophical stuff of what argument, uh, <laughs> what argument do I find most uh, most believable? Now I'm talking about like now, like in this world, like tomorrow, like what moves you, what makes you get up, and what makes you want, you know, do you want to do you want to be a better person? Do you want to, um, you know, affect someone else's life? Those kinds of things, you know, that to me is the the most vital thing. It's yeah, not, it's not this. The philosophical stuff is great, and we have to have a grasp of it, and it can be useful. Um, but ultimately, it has to come down to some kind of a, I suppose, some kind of a choice, some kind of a conscious decision, some the kind of a choice, some kind of belief. And people are like, if we're talking philosophically, it's like, no, I don't, I don't believe in anything. Well, yeah, but I mean, 
you, know, you have to believe in something, you know, yeah. just, it can be anything. It can be, I believe in other people. Great. You know, that's, that's, that's a good place to start. I believe that in America. Kind of stuff is what I'm talking about. And so that's why these conversations are interesting because they bring into question the stuff like, what do we find? Yeah, yeah. What do we find important it's and good. what do we not find important? And so going into the, uh, and so this was, this is the, the whole core. thing I found interesting about this article is that it taps into that kind of question of, you know, what our approaches are. In this case, our approaches in art. And that'll affect how you create art, you know what I mean? So, let's say someone like me, um, I hope I could uh, get closer to some kind of um, picture of art that I think that hopefully... Um, you know, God designed in a way to be the ideal form, kind of a reflection of who God is. That, to me, seems mm -hmm. like that's what I like to get closer towards. And then mm -hmm. someone else will be like, well, that's rubbish, that, that, mate. Yeah, that's rubbish. That makes no sense. That's silly. For me, it's just like, I'm going to invent stuff and things that sound cool to me, that's going to be my motivation. Or, or it could be anything. I'm not, yeah. I don't want to paint with the broad brush because, you know, I think that I'm not trying to say these are, you know, different... Uh, I'm not trying to say that any other view is lesser value. No. I think that we all kind of have to uh, decide these things for ourselves. But, you know. Unless you like Superman v. Batman. Yeah. What would that would that be closer to the ideal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it's interesting because then I've kind of also wondered, you know, when we take uh, this question of kind of, you know, if you're like me and think that, okay, maybe there is some kind of ideal form of art or something that we're trying to discover and get closer to. Um, it, the question then becomes, um, how will I know what that is? And for me, that's pretty open. For me, it's an open question. Um, so my starting point is, yeah, um, art or aesthetics or whatever are discoveries. We make discoveries, we make progress, so to speak. But what those progress necessarily look like is up for grabs. I mean, I'm not sure how I could, you know. And that comes with the trouble of defining art and saying, ooh, this is art and this is it. I don't know. I think we can't really make <laughs> those claims, but I think we can get closer. And I think that at least I can, at least for me, I can yeah. maybe, um, based on experience, say this seems to me like it's more artistic, or and this seems to, like yeah. It's less and then artistic. you just express that with what your worldview is. Yeah, yeah. and that's why we're doing the podcast yeah, today. Yeah, and so that that's what's kind of cool. I think. Um, so here's the last part of the essay. He goes, um, Scruton asks a question. He says, "We need to go back over the ground." so intricately covered by the great work of art, and to raise again the question that motivates it, how to reconcile future creativity with the legacy of our past agreements. And so he mentions an essay I didn't have time to read um, by T.S. Eliot called Tradition and the Individual Talent. Don't know what's in there. But Scruton says, according to this rival philosophy, true artists are not the antagonists of tradition, but their latest advocates. They belong to the future because they are guardians of the past. Okay. Also an interesting aspect because yeah, because the question is yeah, but this is a cool point because to me the way I see this is in a way yeah like in a way when we create art we are deriving so much of art from our influences from what we liked from what we grew up on right now I'm diverging obviously from what the essay is trying to say but you know to me if anything has become apparent it is that. When we create anything, what we're really doing in the end is that we're building upon 
what we listen to, what we watched, you know, oh, yeah, we're yeah. building upon and, you know, it's the, it's the, um, the Foo Fighters quote. What is it? Oh, Foo Fighters. I don't know. I don't listen to the oh, Foo we Fighters. All, we all, we all come from what's come before, artistically speaking, you know, we are a product of what we, um, listen to. And we, I think that's cool. I mean, a lot of people might look at that negatively and say, oh, you know, that's, that sounds kind of sad because we're just replicating stuff. But I don't think we're replicating. I think we are being inspired by other people's works of art and we are building upon them, putting our own, our own, oh, our yeah, own. What do you think? Yeah. Our own experience. Like this whole idea of building upon, like be, being, being a, yeah. I, well, I think that that's just what it has to be. Yeah. That's cool. I think it's cool. But you have to continue. Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, all the old stuff is good. Yeah. But I also feel like, how can you... Back then, when they were doing yeah. this, they were in- innovating and doing something new. Yeah. So you have to you have to keep pushing the bar. How it gets uh, received by other people, Yeah, who knows? Yeah. But I think, yeah, so, so in the end, I think Scruton is saying that we shouldn't throw out everything, you know, out the window. We should just go start from scratch. But he's saying kind of let's build upon this process of discovery which i mean i'm not sure it's hard to say you know like i agree with it what we said conceptually philosophically yeah but at the same time you know scruton might see it like you know he might see it traditional art is the way to go but then you know for me it's like well but then but maybe other ways of art are a way to do it you know i mean that's one of my questions too is like when we talk about um more modern forms of music, right? It's like, yeah. I like rock and roll. Rock and roll is my favorite kind of music. I love rock and roll. Put it on the dime in the jukebox, baby. That was the first rock song in history. Oh, yeah? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can rock and roll yeah, so all for instance, I, like, I like rock and roll, right? And party every day. I want to rock and roll. Okay, go and My on. biggest question is... So but Jacob, we're done it's, with a, dis- we're it's, done, a, we're done it's with a distortion of classical music. That's interesting. See, this is the interesting part of the topic. But rock anyway, and roll was from the devil. We're, we're pretty much done with the article. Pokemon, rock and roll. So do I agree with everything Roger Scruton says? No, I think he's a little bit too lofty, but fundamentally I agree with his, his starting point. I agree Okay, yeah, that's that's where I'm at, and it seems to me like it's a, it's a process of discovery, and I think there's some good things we should take from that, and I think we should kind of sometimes be... It's good to be a little cautious and not be too, you know, like... Just invent everything and, and, and make bad things. But it's complicated. Um, yeah, so if we were talking about rock and roll. Yeah, that's an interesting question to me because we go back to this idea of, you know, is there an ideal form of art or not? You know, it's hard because, like, a lot of, the, a lot of um, there's a lot of facets to this. So, for instance, like, when we're talking about what makes good art, is it, complexity is it um you know what what exactly is good art how do we kind of tell and that's a harder question to answer so i don't know that's all i can say maybe it's for a different time but anyway it's it's uh yeah i mean those things are cool for me to think about because they um bring into question a lot of other well yeah 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 so in the end yeah i thought that was an interesting article Mm -hmm. but 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 um yeah. Again, cool. I'm, I'm trying to look at these things. I'm not trying to be like don't don't think that I'm like endorsing everything these people are saying cuz again, I don't know everything but just trying to share 
share some cool ideas, I think. Okay, we're done with that one. Next article, less lofty, is uh, called Scuba Diving in the Infosphere. Ooh, it's going to be exciting. This is an interview with uh, an Italian philosopher named Luciano Floridi, who is a professor of philosophy and ethics and information at the University of Oxford. All right. This guy, Google hired him lately. Why? Because they need a philosopher to figure out what they're going to do with data. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Because we have these, you know, these problems of privacy and data. How are we going to work with that? And Google's like, we don't know. Let's hire this guy. Okay. I'm serious, yeah. And they hired him in, uh, I, I think it's like a project. It's not like his, his job, but it's, um, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, pretty interesting ideas from uh, Floridi. And uh, yeah, let's get into some of them. So it's a long interview. I'll try to read some of the best bits. Hopefully you won't get lost. But they um, talk about many different themes based on technology and how exactly technology is affecting our lives and also what it means to live with the technology we have today. Very different from technology. Technological problems. How will we live in today's turbulent yes. future? How Tonight on the postcard. Can you ready for this? Here's the first part of the interview. The this is like the slowest thing ever. The um, interviewer says, "Technology in its various forms has been a part of human life for some time now. But as philosophers such as Heidegger argue, recently there has been a profound change in the nature of technology itself." What's so different about technolo- current technologies? What do you think is different, Philip? Uh, the abundance of it. Abundance, yeah. No, that's true. the interactive, the 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 dependency of the yep. technology. What do you think? What does it say? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, good. Um, let's look at this. So Floridi says, "What is different is that it is no longer just a matter of interacting with the world by other means—a wheel rather than pushing off, or an engine rather than a horse." We have this new environment where we are spending more and more time, a digital environment, where agency is most successful because of the technologies that we have are meant to interact successfully in a digital environment. The result is that we are entering into what I like to consider a new chapter in the history of philosophy. Out of all this, why does digital technology make a difference as opposed to the engine or the fridge or the wheel? Well, this builds on the environment and transforms all of the interactions we have among ourselves with our environment and how we conceptualize ourselves and our environment. Okay, that's right. This new technology that we're living in, like you said, completely connected. We are in the digital environment. In the digital era. Very different. But this is very interesting because this is gonna, this has, yeah, I think it has changed how we approach just living our lives. It's very different. It is you know, we're always connected. Um, smartphones, good example, of course. That's the newest one. Uh, like I said, abundance of interaction and yes. connecting other people. I, I rather like it, though. Cha- well, yeah. I mean, there, there's good things and bad things. The interviewer goes on. What are the most significant positive and negative aspects of this fourth re- revolution, as you call it? Revolution. Floridi says, in terms of positive aspects, there is a sense of liberation and empowerment. At least in the 1990s, with the honeymoon with the internet, we were enjoying it. You can be someone else, you can interact with people, and you could never dream of, and you could never dream of, 
You can do more. Oh, sorry. You can interact with people you could never dream of. You can do more with less. We can actually help the environment a lot. So some positives, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. 1990s, big internet boom. Whew, you know, eBay. Whoa. AOL.com. Doing all kinds of stuff. We are just transforming the idea. 1,400 free hours. Yes. Those are really annoying. Those CDs are good. <laughs> I thought they were awesome. Remember how we used to get them and then we used to throw them like frisbees? Yes, yes. <laughs> of course. What else would you do with them? See how much we can destroy them. Yeah. That's protecting the environment. Yeah, so some positives, right? Um, I think that's true, you know, already changing how we are um, living in the world. Then he goes on to another part, which we can skip, and the interviewer goes on and says this part. There are very few whose lives haven't been affected by digital technologies, not just in terms of distraction and entertainment, but also because of the sheer volume of information available. You write that every day... Enough data are being created to fill all U.S. libraries eight times over. That we're in the age of the zettabyte. What effect is this onslaught information having on the average person? Well, I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, so he's talking about a lot of this has to do with uh, social interactions online and the amount of data we generate from mostly social networks. Facebook has... Billions, Facebook. billions of photos. Will the empire of the internet ever step down? Find Will there be a tomorrow? rebellion? Will there be a new republic of the internet? Yeah. And so a lot of data from a lot of kind of, should we say, um, everyday, everyday uh, occurrences, uh, photographs, all these different things. He also touches upon uh, technology grabbing our attention. And this is so prevalent with smartphones, for instance. I don't get that many notifications because I don't have any friends. Because, <laughs> no. No, I'm just kidding. But um, uh, I'm sure a lot of people, for instance, who have Facebook on their iPhone and they turn on the notifications yeah. for Facebook and for Twitter and for, um, you know, like your diet app that'll help you stand up every five seconds. Got to do stuff. it. <laughs> uh, no, that's bad. Look, <laughs> it grabs your attention, you know. And it's true, I think. A lot, of, a lot of technologies, what I'm finding out is that, again, I don't want to be grumpy old man here sitting down and saying, what terrible times we're living in. I think this is all, we're figuring this stuff out, hopefully. But it's good to take a look at what exactly it's doing, you know, in mm-hmm. our everyday uh, interactions. And so it's true. Like, for instance, we take a look at... um. um Data, a lot of data being cycled around. There is attention, a lot of attention, phones wanting our attention. And I like how he put it here. He's talking about this idea of of technology grabbing our attention a lot. He says, it's like food, is his analogy. We have so much food around us that it's very hard to be on a diet. And it's not because you want to be an athlete or super fit. You just know that if you keep eating all that junk, well, it's going to kill you. And it's the same with all the information out there. And every bit is calling for attention. Every chocolate bar is calling me, me, me. Most of it is junk. And even of the stuff that isn't junk, there's just Mm. too much. Even of the best quality food, you can really have a hard time if you eat too much of the best possible food. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's so much about junky data, but what we need to realize is there's, there's an enormous amount of good information out there that we just have to give up. And that is the first time in history of humanity we've had to do that. 
Very true. What do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's quite true. I was just starting to think of, hmm, what do I do? Yeah. yeah. It's true. I mean, like, I think it's it's worth taking a look at this stuff. Because, yeah, I might. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like... I thought it was interesting you mentioned that there's a ton of good stuff online now. You know, it's opened up so many well, places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about... This podcast, for example. Exactly. <laughs> premium, premium podcasting. Premium. I mean, premium. you have this rambling guy talking about nonsense. Something he doesn't know about. Yes. See? And... And then me just going, uh-huh. Yeah. Isn't that good? So basically we have the premium stuff, the yes. good quality food, yes, and the junk food. And the junk just like this podcast. No, no, this is premium. Premium, premium. junk. Premium junk. That's a good one. <laughs> I like that. No, no. Uh, and, and I like this, what he put at the end, he said, I don't think it's so much about junk data, but that we need to realize that there's, sorry, not that part, the best quality food. So even, uh, even the good stuff that's out there, there's too much of it. And I think this is a problem we're facing that he mentions, and I thought about before, never faced before. Before, it was a scarcity of stuff. You know what I mean? You need resources? Oh, I need to go to the library. You go to the library. Do you have this book? No. Oh, you know? Today, done, right? Yeah. Great. But at the same time, problems. Why? Too much stuff. How are we going to get to it? Interesting. Okay, uh, let's see what else there is. So he goes on to talk about these kinds of things. It also talks about some negative aspects, like um, surveillance. Bad. Yeah, that's bad. bad. Um, My bad was things. was random. I was just. Yep, yep, yep. That wasn't even. A what reaction. else we're talking about here? Um, yeah, talking about virtual identities. Um, that can be interesting, I suppose. Uh, what else is there? Okay, this one is the most most interesting to me part of the interview. So we talked about data. We talked about different things. Interview goes like this. I'd like to move on to memory. In this edition, philosopher Patrick Stokes, your former colleague at Hertfordshire, writes about how we're forgetting how to forget as we increasingly outsource our memory to our phones. Oh man, yeah, you told me about this. Storing, this spooky. And, storing and sharing every moment. As Kierkegaard puts it, we're remembering the experience while we're still having it. Do you think this is a concern, or are we simply finding new ways of communicating and recording a different way of being? That line, we're remembering the experience while we're still having it. Good line from Kierkegaard, don't you agree? Yes. This is what I find myself doing as well, right? I think I'm experiencing something, it's fun. I'm like, dude, I'll tweet about this. But I'm thinking about tweeting about it. What a stupid thing to do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's one of the things Actually, I started started not doing that. Good. uh, For experiences that I know I will have. Like, for example... Okay, so I take photos, but that's it's a different that's a thing, different I thing. It's a different I, approach. I like, yeah, I'm actually doing it for photography's sake more yeah. than I can't wait to show well, my friends pl- on and Facebook. Plus, and plus, you're maybe you're also enjoying the process. Of I am. Photos. I like it. So, yeah. so that aside, I just realized that you know, like I was taking that into heart more more recently. Yeah. Because I feel like you know that's better for yes. for myself because remembering it mm-hmm. uh, a, a more pleasant thing than like what you said like. I go record it on yeah. video. And yeah. It doesn't. In the end, because you're putting precedence, the video is taking precedence yes. of the experience, which in some cases, of course, very valid and good thing. You know, mm-hmm. like for instance, and even sometimes recording a wedding. Yeah, good thing. Like, like even sometimes when, uh, like, for example, we went to that park. Yeah. Oh man, I hate that I don't remember the names of the parks. <laughs> we can Google so. it. <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry about it. A park. And I see this wonderful. Bit of nature, yeah. You know the the, the instinct is to nature. pick up your camera and take photos. Yeah, but then I just remember, even if you do that, you want to sit down and just 
absorb it because otherwise yeah. Yeah, it's it's an experience yeah. that is and um, at that point you really want I would love to just be alone that would be great yeah. stuff like that would yeah. be wonderful to do but there we go that's exactly that's I think my... that's that's what yeah we're getting at I think is you know not saying that making a record of things or um, sharing stuff is bad by no means but to just be careful and not not let that take over where I'm sure it can easily happen I mean I like I said for me you know I found out quite a few times where let's say I'm reading a an article I'm thinking at the beginning of the article um, this is good uh, shareable material and I just find myself you know, realizing wow so I'm not even you know reading it for myself I'm reading it to to share the article and it's a very strange thing which in turn is basically me saying I hope I will be perceived in a certain way by sharing something so cool which I don't think that's a very good mm-hmm. way to do it and it's it can be a hard thing to get over especially nowadays you know with with the technology. Oh yeah, nowadays. Oh, oh, nowadays. Oh, it's man. It's true, man. Nowadays. We should definitely, we should definitely consider that. All right. So that's the question. Floridi says. Floridi. This problem raises several issues that are crucial. There are so many things here that are of absolute fundamental philosophical value. The first thing is a misunderstanding about ICT. It says here digital technologies. I don't know why it's called ICT. Um, Basically, we can say, maybe, yeah. We can say digital technologies. We'll call them technologies of memory. Tech mem. But they actually wipe our memory. What they do is they are constantly presenting memory. So this is a different theme, by the way. Yeah. Constantly presenting memory as an overextended eternal past. That's typical of search engines. In the past, you would have some of the memories sediment into blocks, and it's important to stress that you really would have the memories but you would not be recalling those memories. That's a definition I provided recently of closure. Closure is not forgetting, it's remembering without recalling. You don't want to forget what happened. On the contrary, history needs to be remembered. But at the same time, you don't want to refresh that memory all the time because otherwise you never move forward. Say two friends who have had a fight, or you and your spouse, something didn't go well, but we put it in the archive. It's It's not cleaning or erasing things. These technologies, by nature, they constantly regurgitate everything we have all on one single front page. Yeah. Isn't that good? Yeah. I think this sums up so much, I think, of what computers basically do. <laughs> computers, and In mate. a way, I'm, okay, we're looking at the negative side here, computers, of course. You know, we have to assume that there's positive and What negatives. can't they do these days? But it's so true, man. I mean, it's like, and this is interesting. Floridi, I watched an interview uh, where he was talking about... Um, one of the things that he suggests, you know, like he's now, he's obviously involved in ideas of, of, you know, what technology should look like and how we should approach technology. And one of his ideas that I think is brilliant is for Facebook, things like Facebook, things like social networks. We got to put that on Facebook. Should have a one-year cutoff to when things get uh, expired and get deleted. So, for instance, you post something, in a year it's gone. Ooh, mama. That is a really good thing if you think about it because this is what he's talking about. Facebook. I wouldn't mind Twitter doing that. Anything. I'm say, I, I think I would say globally it should be like that for, okay. for, for social networks. For okay, instance. Nazi. No, Hitler. <laughs> I'm talking about myself. And uh, because, because this, this line is, I think, brilliant. Uh, closure is not forgetting, it's remembering without recalling. So two very different things. Remembering something. So I think a great example is uh, you take... Um, you might have experienced something negative, right? Maybe you experienced something terrible in your life. Maybe uh, you know something bad happened, 
And when you remember it, you're not recalling the whole episode in your head, right? You're recalling, no, you're not recalling, remembering the event. You're saying, oh, I remember yes. that, bad, that bad, bad thing happened, right? Mm-hmm. But in the process of, say, healing from that event, things are better, right? Yes. So you still remember the event, but yes. you mostly forgot. It's like one of those, it's like reading your old comments. Exactly. This is in what we're talking 2007. about. 2007. This is what I remember yeah. your comments on Facebook in 2007. Yeah. Bored, bored, got school tomorrow, hate it, bored, hate it, Jake is bored. School tomorrow, at home. <laughs> But see and you don't want to you don't want to read that necessarily. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing because that that's a totally different way now. And how will it be used against you in the future? Well, that too, of course. But that's another issue. But Jacob hates blacks. <laughs> he said so in two thousand seven when he was what five? Yeah, of course. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, like, like nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, um, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, that was a <laughs> joke. Okay. Um, <laughs> We yeah. can't get out of this now. No. Oh, um, man. The, wor- the worst possible joke Thank ever. You. You're welcome. Been, You're uh, welcome. Uh, this is an office moment now. Go on. You pulled you pull the David Brent there. <laughs> you pulled the David Brent. Wow. But that's the whole thing, isn't it? It's technology, like computers and internet services, yeah. that store information very different than what it used to be like. I think, thinking about it, not a fan. Not a fan. N- no. Not a fan. Because I think that it's true. This is kind of a reverse of how things kind of were naturally inclined. But this is the to... same thing where we're talking about now is just that the information that yeah. we that we put in, but we want, don't you want to keep a, a record? Well, that's the thing, right? Sure, but it has to have the right context. So, for instance, when we talk about Facebook, comments. Comments are just casual conversations But we're going back the to the, you didn't, you know, like... What? You kept thinking about whether or not you could, mm-hmm. didn't stop to think if you should. Right. The problem here is okay. that if you can do it, you they do it. That's the difference. That's the thing. Right. So you're saying like that basically we can't fix the problem because... Because no one's setting any standards for it. Right. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I have no clue... I'm kind of skeptical. And even if they did, other people would have different opinions. On yeah. It. I mean, I'm skeptical in terms of what we can fix with the internet and I honestly don't it's not that interesting to me because like that's not like I'm not you know I'm not like some passionate advocate of data privacy or something people love that stuff and that's great and I think they're doing a good, great job like Floridi for instance is seems like he's doing a good thing like talking about you know maybe there's some ways we should change these things yeah um, but again conceptually kind of you know the very idea of this stuff um, yeah you know like I just don't like it so what we can do is we can obviously the only thing we can change is how we approach these technologies and um you know uh how we uh interact with each other you know yeah just yeah. think twice that's a good that's a good that's a good uh, yeah. rule of thumb like for instance on facebook you know what i do basically internet PSA. i'm a pretty big skeptic of the whole um privacy uh, uh, encryption stuff like Encryption on paper, to me, makes sense. Mathematically, I don't understand it, but I mean, it makes sense that it works, you know. But honestly, like, I'm really skeptical. Like, who knows what people are doing with the data? I honestly, I just assume that my data is, like, anywhere. It could be anywhere yeah. on the internet, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when I use, like, Facebook or even private chat, yeah. I just assume that it's... Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it'll be used negatively or, you know, uh, dam- being, being damaging. Or used at all. Or used at all. But I just assume that it's, you know, if it's in some data center... It's somewhere where some other people can see it. I always just imagine, like, uh, Google shuts down, and it's like, Google is, or, you know, like, 
you delete your Google account and Google still has your um, you know your data in one of the servers, yeah. and they just forget to delete it, and then it gets moved to the next server, yeah. and it's like in 50 years, and that's so plausible. And so for me, I just assume that things aren't you know completely encrypted, and I mean these are things interesting things to think about when it comes to data and how we uh, uh, use data. So. Yeah, but that's the cool thing. The recalling thing is very, very true. Um, and so for me, it's like, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think it's that it's a tough thing sometimes to want to save certain things like conversations, let's say from the past and stuff like that. Yeah. It's fun to sometimes save them. But at the same time, just like, you know, my sometimes you just gotta, you gotta experience with yeah. saving older conversations is that every time I. When I have the itch to read some of those old things, it's really not worth it. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And again, it, it's even better. That's the funny thing. Yeah, it's even better just to remember, like, oh, that was a fun conversation yeah. we had versus, <laughs> versus Andy, come over. Andy, come over. <laughs> I hate good. you. That I hate you. <laughs> I'm not going to make your film, Philip. I'm done. Yeah. No, well, I hate it? you. Uh, Star Wars, over. And then two hours later, I'm coming over. Okay, see ya. We can film Star Wars if you want. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes on to talk about how uh, suddenly now we have, in a way, uh, almost, in in a sense, almost too much control of how we are perceived online. So today we have um, social profiles, all these different things, and we have to make, um, you know, you have to make the decisions of how exactly you want to handle that stuff, right? He goes, let's piece it all together. There's a sense in which we are memories, and when we develop technologies which handle memories... These are technologies that are handling personal identities. That's what it is. So this adds to the previous strand of the conversation 20 minutes ago. Why this is making such a difference to our lives as opposed to the engine? Well, an engine doesn't change me. It's not supposed to handle my personal identity. These technologies are meant to handle and transform and process your memories. Therefore, these technologies are handling your personal identity. You've got to be careful about how you handle these memories. You've got control over information. You've got control over your personal identity. Obviously, this is a little bit extreme. With yeah. Equating, equating it to personal identity, I wouldn't go so far. But it is true that it is a fragment of of who we are in a sense of how we're perceived, not necessarily objectively who we are. But yeah, you know, like that's an interesting, interesting thing because, um, you know, yeah, it's just so strange because it's it's like. When I compare, let's say, I don't know what it was like uh, to live without the internet. Well, I do when we were when I was small, and I was like, in, well, actually, no, let me think. Yeah, up until middle school, it was like no internet, pretty much, for me. Yeah. yeah. I remember I was like asking my dad when, in 1996, yeah. 1997, can I go on the internet? Yeah. And my dad was always had to look over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's Lara Croft in a bikini. Nope. X. Get out of there. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it seems to me sometimes that before, I don't know, just, like, for me, I sometimes wonder, everything seemed more, in a way, human-based in the past, but obviously I know today it's also human-based, it's just that we're using different means of communication, I understand that, but there is this in-between thing, which is just, you know, the internet, which holds so much data and holds so much records of things we do, that it's a very, I don't know, sometimes it seems like, is it the best thing? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Because in the past, it seems like, you know, if you wanted to, you could disappear. Can't now. It's impossible. You know what I mean? Like, it's just too much. Well, uh, we'll make a movie of that. 
<laughs> yeah, the disappearing man. Yeah, born identity, but cyber. But they'll be without hacking though. We can't have hacking. Remember? That's the thing. We need we need hacking. We need to see how like. Oh yeah, that was also interesting. I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Dun 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 dun. No, nothing. At the beginning, at the beginning of the interview, he was mentioning, which was I find fascinating. Even today. Again, in this modern world, it's only going to get even more advanced. I think is that algorithms, computer. You know, this gets into the whole AI question. Algorithms are created that function in the digital environment, interact with each other. So different art algorithms, for instance, is obviously, theoretically, I'm not sure how much of this, uh, how it looks like in the actual computer world. People who are computer experts would know more. But I think it's true that a lot of these algorithms, we don't truly know how they work, apart from kind of the the certain set of rules we program them. I mean, programming in general, you know, sometimes you have no clue. Sometimes if programs go wrong, you know, it's hard know. It's hard for us as humans, as limited people, to write these, you know, algorithms. It's hard for yeah, us to yeah, understand yeah. how the algorithms ultimately work in the grand scheme because they're so complex and computers have so much processing power. Yep. And he was talking about how, you know, these algorithms live in their own digital domain, you know, and it's their home, mm-hmm. these algorithms. Mm-hmm. It's for them, they're the natives and we're the foreigners, you know, we're interacting with these algorithms, but we don't even have almost the slightest clue of how, what exactly they're doing yep. behind the scenes. I mean, that's just, in a way, it's scary. That's, that's nuts, man. scary, honestly. Like, I what think, have we did created? I, did I hear like that the, um, let's watch the second renaissance from the Animatrix again. Something like that, yeah. Did I hear the, um, stock market, I think is now all, do you hear what algorithms? I hear? Yeah, I think the stock market is completely computer based. Cool. That stuff's so weird to me. That's, I don't understand. What do you think? Hal Nine Thousand is just going to show up and no, go? No, I don't think so. I'm sorry, humans. I don't think Can't so. Do that. I'm not talking. But I just think that it's just you know what a just so strange because it's just like completely out of our hands. It's just computers running doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird. Isn't that weird? What can you do? Okay, let's finish this. What can finish you this do? interview some parts. You can hide in the woods. And so he goes on to say, uh, asking what you know, what can we do about um, technology that the interviewer says, How, have we lost something fundamentally fundamental by being as reliant on technology? And Floridy says, I have the impression that for many people, the digital and the analog, the online and the offline are kind of a supernova collapsing into a smaller and smaller and less and less rich world of experience. But for some other people, and maybe it's a minority, I don't know, they're actually expanding. You can do more, you can enjoy life in a variety of different ways, and that is to some extent up to the individuals and also up to our society. Well, there you go. What you want to have is where you have the two options where the online and the offline are collaborating to make things better. This is moving towards a mature information society where we've not where we're not just chasing the next step or the new startup, but we're thinking about the human project we want to build. That's something that I find highly disappointing at the moment. There's no conversation going on about this, not much at least. So, you know. Yeah. Goods and bads. Goods and bads. Um, That's some technological yeah. terror. So, for me, in the end, all this says is that we should focus on relationships and people and not so much about technology. Because in the end, technology will change a little more if it'll turn into whatever and... It's the same thing. Like Being with, dependent on it, I guess, would be... That too. Uh, I mean, it's the same thing for me. It's, in the end, it's like, you know, you can take it as far as we look at um, tools we use. Uh, for instance, in music, you use an instrument to play music, right? What's important? The music is important. The instrument ultimately doesn't matter that much, you know what I mean? So when people get hung up on what kind of instrument you play and what kind of plug-in you use, that's great. But ultimately, the music is important. So for me, 
when I read articles like this, it's fascinating to understand these yeah, um, yeah, yeah. These, the, the, these kind of things we don't usually talk pay, about talk about or pay attention because we're so already just used to this. Because they're only internal. Um, there. Yeah, in the end, I think we should just, you know, we should just come, in a sense, we have to live with technology. It'd be weird not to at this point. It'd be kind of impractical. But at the same time, we shouldn't, uh, I think that we should just focus on on people, at least that's what I want to do. I want to focus on other people, and I want to, I want to, you know. I just want to be honest. I, I would, I would like, you know, other people. We should be honest with each other, and just, just, um, you know, yeah, focus yeah, on no, that. Yeah, no, cool, man. The, I think that's the coolest. Thanks for sharing. There was also a cool thing I wanted to mention, really quick. Shout out. Um, I follow. A friend, I follow a friend of a friend named Dawson Jones on Twitter. If you are a, if you know the podcast lore, uh, Pista, who is the musician we played already like three times, his band, yeah, I know. Dawson is his friend, and he used to be in the old Uniques band, Simon Jones, and he wrote a cool write-up, which I will also share. Um, he took forty days off of social media, and he wrote some observations. That's right, and very nice, very nice, very nice piece, and I have to say. This line, I think, sums up a lot of it. Like I mentioned earlier, I should have mentioned prior. He says, We are finite people, and the more we try to capture our lives and engage in virtual space, the less attention we actually pay to to the actual space we're placed in. I think that's true. I think that's true. So, you know, got to be careful. Got to be careful. You know? Yep, Definitely. I'll paste that. Anyway, uh, that's pretty much it for wait, me. Wait, can I just tell you something? Yes. Uh, the voice of Daffy Duck in Space Jam yeah. was the voice of Appa and Momo in Avatar. No way, really? The Bradley Baker. That's awesome. Well, that's how it goes. So that's pretty much it for me today. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for hope that was, that's telling yeah, us. I don't know if this was very good. I don't know. I, I quite like listening to it. Oh, really? Especially since I didn't have to talk much. That's good. I don't know. I, just sound, I feel like I sound like an angry oh. old man. No! What? Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Aha! 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 My whole idea was like, I wanted to just like bring these things no, up. No, mate, you're all right, mate. I don't want to sound you're like, right, I don't want to sound like, you no, know. No, you're all right. I think it's just fun to talk about that's this great, stuff. It's great, yeah. You know? It's like, you, it's, not, it's not that you have a point or anything. You just want to. Express yourself and talk yeah, to, to people. Yeah, to share these ideas. Maybe start some discussions. Yeah. Even though I know uh, now the discussions underneath on Facebook oh, no. are going to be quite big. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's, uh, we'll hopefully... put it this way: How about these are discussions? These are already discussed discussions that you can ruminate on. You can ponder. Yeah, and so you um, just wanna you just wanna come over here and just share your yeah, thoughts, because, which like, is great. Me, I think I there's many people who appreciate that. Oh, that's, that's very awesome. I, pre- I appreciate. By the way, I appreciate anyone who's listened this far, I really do. That's honestly amazing. And thank you so much for for staying through my crazy, um, you know, uh, thoughts and sharing the things. Thanks. Cool. Uh, but yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, you know, for me, I find mm-hmm. that when I listen to things or read things, uh, it's sometimes useful not necessarily so much to immediately engage with them, per se, but to kind of let them... To kind of try to understand them, you know, like yeah. if I listen to a podcast, I might mm-hmm. go, oh, you know, like I find that it's, you know, I used to be more like, oh, I disagree with that. And I'd find reasons to why they're wrong or yeah, something like yeah. that. But I think it's much more interesting when you go, 
Hmm, okay, that's. I know. I, I think cool so point too. And go. Okay, how do I? How does this compare? I felt the same. I am like I told you before. I, yeah. as I get older, I just I feel the same way, and I don't like concluding different thoughts that have to be you know that are very uh, very crucial. Mm. You know to understanding of the world. Mm. And so I don't like it when, uh, you know, when you kind of lock yourself into a, mm-hmm. into a fixed thought. Yeah. And I think that's better. That's true, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think but at the same time, though, at least in my experience, you know, you, have, you do have to have some, you have to have some kind of a... Perspective to fix, look at from? Yeah, you have to have a fixed point, you know, um, I think. Yeah, but then what, what happens? But that's just what, like, I feel like wouldn't you argue that that sort of that just kind of changes like it can change i think well here's what i think i think that the fixed point can shift a little yeah but uh i think that it's it's very useful and helpful in living a life to have a fixed point now like i said it can shift you know and sometimes it might shift drastically but i definitely wouldn't want to take like a completely different fixed point you know, like every like, you know, what I'm saying like I don't want to just go. Oh, this is my fixed point today. In a week, it's a completely different fixed right. point. Well, that that's a bit. Different. You see what I'm saying? So I'm saying that's... shifting the fixed fi- uh, fixed point is is fine. I think that's a good thing to do because then you're actually you're learning and you're you're ready to be honest with yourself, saying, yeah, maybe this wasn't the the, the right thing, but now I'm seeing it this way, and this makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's important still to have a fixed point, and I think everyone is coming from a fixed point okay. ultimately. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. You know, whether we know it or not, I think that, that's what I'm saying earlier. That's what I was saying earlier. I think that we, what interests me is that you know, what is it that kind of what is like? What do you believe in just in just in general life? Like, what do you want to do? Like, you know, what do you? How do you hope to affect someone's life? Do you want to affect someone's life? That kind of thing. You know, yeah. like, that's the ultimate thing mm-hmm. I think. And I think everyone has some kind of predisposition. And it's just not expressed in a formal, you know, sense. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Oh. Anyway, well, there you go. That's cool. Sweet. So anyway, cool. um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll do more of these. I don't know. You can, and I think people will like it. Cool. Maybe I should have someone with. I me. know other people won't like it. Some people won't like it. Some people won't like it. Uh, but that's just how it goes. That's the nature of it, how it goes. And I feel like uh, if you're gonna do a show like yeah. this, why would you want to? Uh, Appease to the audience. <laughs> I don't want to appease the audience. <gasps> you know, you know what I mean. Like I'm just, I'm just saying. Like I think that it's better to stick to your guns. Oh yeah, with what you want to do and just do it. And Absolutely. if you know, if people don't like it, that's okay. Next episode's gonna be complete stupid stuff anyway. I think yeah. most likely. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to appease the audience. There's no yeah. point. That's why I'm saying like all these things that I'm saying are completely just my thoughts. Yeah, that's and, great. You know, completely open to. It's to really listen. nice that you're expressing them too. Oh, thank you. Com- cool. Completely open to you know, listen to it or don't listen to it. It's all cool, um, you know. Since we have this podcast, anyways, might right? As well, might as well just mm-hmm. practice a little bit, just talking about some of these things because I think they're important. Important. Anyway, yeah. th- these weren't like the most like important ever in the world, but I think these were interesting. Yeah, I know. So yeah, you should get some side. friends to do this. I with know. You I wish because, I had somebody. Yeah. All right. It's okay. Cool. Okay. There's an opening open casting call here. Uh, you can uh, see if you want to talk with Jake about stuff like that. Uh, okay. Cool. Send anyway, in your, um, send in your itinerary to lordphilmaster at gmail uh, you will be rejected if your core beliefs are false. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So the last thing I want to do is, this is for everyone who can participate. I would love for people to participate. I posted on Twitter, nothing. No one even liked it or commented. Oh. It's fine. It's fine. But it's just weird. I thought people would notice. Um, like I said, reading is great. Um, 
it's weird how it's hard sometimes on the internet to find like really good websites yeah. that are similar to like these articles where it's just like trying to get at some of the fundamental stuff out there and trying to like question exactly you know what, yes. is, what is the most important kind of uh, you know what are these fundamental things we think about and uh, a couple sites that so far I've been reading that are quite good I would call them super thought provoking websites okay. and I would love if you guys have any super thought provoking websites you would like to share hey, that'd be great yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, it's hard for me sometimes to find some of these or these kinds of sites so the first one is when I mentioned it before called brain pickings remember we talked about um, being a celebrator from Maria Popova. Maria Popova. That's right. Yes, I remember her. Being a celebrator in, in her blog, essentially. I really like uh, brain pickings. I haven't. I don't. Again, with these sites, I don't read them like very often. I read them occasionally, but when I get the chance to to read an article or two, it's always one of those things where you can go, "Oh yeah, interesting. Like mm-hmm. that's that's tapped into something interesting. I should probably look at something differently." Yeah, brain pickings is cool. She's she writes a lot, so it's hard to really it's impossible to keep up with. But every time I read an article, I'm always uh, always learn something from brain brain pickings. Cool. And I really love that her style. And this is something that I might talk about some other time, but it's extremely hard to put into words. But her style is, and I've seen this is I would say this style exists out there. I've read in in different. For instance, this would be. Uh, Mary Meredith Bazzoli, she has that same kind of, some kind of aura, some kind of vibe, where it's just a really, you know, it's a really kind of, you know, it's a view of really looking at life as, you know, as something that we should be thankful for and something that we have an opportunity to experience, you know what I mean? It's some kind of a, a present, you know, uh, and it's just it's a really nice tone. It's, you know, so devoid of criticism and... Well, constructive criticism, yeah, but so devoid of this apathy and this kind of, you know, like, oh, well, we don't know anything. This is dumb. This is bad. Yeah. But it's just very much just like, let's let's not... Let's put that aside. You know, like, we have too much of that already in the world. And let's talk about something that's... You know, let's look at the world in a, in a sense as a blessing, so to speak, oh. and not as a, you know... And it's hard to describe this kind of writing, but I, that's what the kind of writing I like. Link it, uh, yeah. And Link so, it and put okay, it on. Yeah, Follow it. Jacob on Twitter. Going, His handle is Jake Dragish. <laughs> One word. One word. Uh, second website is called Nautilus. Nautilus dot org, I think. The Nautilus. Nautilus. Nautilus.us. Oh, no, it's Nautilus, but like Nautilus.us. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, can you meet Captain Nemo? Maybe. But probably not, unfortunately. Uh, is Captain Nemo Indian? That's the question. Well, he is in a uh, extraordinary film, <laughs> which parallels to Batman vs Superman, if you know what I mean. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Extraordinary gentleman parallels with Batman. You'll know if you've seen both films. You will know. Um, particularly in the second half of the film. Oh man, you mean the ending? Yes, the ending. <laughs> okay, listen. Okay. Nautilus just recently discovered the site, like a couple months ago, but they seem to have some quality writing. Um, it's it's science oriented, so it's coming from a scientific perspective. Um, I mean, listen, listen to these titles. Like, this is just on the front page. Like, you know, how is this not interesting? Look at this psychology category: how to avoid empathy burnout. What is that? Interesting. Uh, physics. Uh, 
why nature prefers hexagons. Wow. Um, I want to read that stuff. Listen to this. Uh, neuroscience, the paradox of the elephant brain. I don't know what that is, but it sounds so interesting. Um, neuroscience, what Alzheimer feels for like from the inside. You know? Wow. Sad, but... Let's do it. <laughs> it's sad, but... Yeah. It is. I know. Well, yeah. Chippa link that, and uh, that's cool. So let's segue. Let's segue. Oh, in. no, last, last, last website. Okay. And the last website is called Five Books. Five Books. Five Guys. Five, five Books. Guys. Uh, I've never been to Five Guys. I know. We should go. We should go... Do they have it in London. Canada? London. London. They have a Five Guys there. Yeah. But okay. if not, we can just, you know... Did they, have, did they have Five Guys in Canada? No, I don't think no? so. No? Do they? I don't know. Further dispelling my I'm previous... talking. I'm talking to our friend Cherry Sama. Cool. She's in Canada. She's in Canada. Uh, further dispelling my previous uh, disposition notion, I thought, yeah, Canada has pretty much the same stuff, stuff as I the know, United right? States. Mm-hmm. And then no. you go there and it's like, wow, totally different stuff. Yeah. Most of the time. They might have one thing, they don't have the other thing. I know, right? Uh, let's see. Uh, five books, a website. This is basically, I said basically, I think approximately 10,000 times this episode. Guys. Five Books is run by Five Guys, the restaurant. <laughs> five Books is a site where they interview all kinds of people, writers, thinkers, psychologists, philosophers, anyone, politicians, uh, where they recommend five books. So they talk about these five books they recommend, often associated with a theme. So, for instance, look, popular interviews, Stephen Law. Uh, philosopher, pseudoscience, that's the topic. So you're going to talk about five books on pseudoscience. Uh, Selena O'Grady. I don't know who it is, but the title is The Role of Religion. That She's going to talk about five books about the role of... You know, all these, all these uh, interesting people offering interesting interviews whilst... Whilst, look at me, am I British? What am I talking about? Whilst. While, um, off, while offering, uh, suggesting, recommending five books. Yeah. Again, only read a handful of interviews, but every time I've read an interview here, it's always made me go, huh, that is interesting. That's good stuff, Unfortunately, Mike. I'll probably never read those books. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Yeah. I'm done. Okay, um, so... What's next time? Well, next time, pff, who knows? Oh yeah, uh, still after, just, after this, you get people get everyone. You guys get to listen to that's the Batman. right. We have uh, Batman v Superman with yeah. Luke Coons and me. Yes. Um, not Jake though, because you're studying. I know. You're a studying man. But to be honest, I also didn't really feel like talking. I know. About it. I know. It's already getting to that point where you just don't feel like talking about yeah. upcoming movies. Hey, speaking of which, Rogue One. You know, seen that trailer? Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I did. Yeah, I did. It's a story of Star Wars. Yes. Yes. Um, what do you want to say about it? Just that it, you know, it was there. I saw it. Oh, pfft. Rogue One Star I Wars. I saw story. it too. It's coming out <laughs> on Christmas. I saw it on. Uh, the internet. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker's in it. Uh, Whitaker? You mean Avengers and Odyssey? That's <laughs> Forrest Whitaker is, uh, is an actor. Uh, you might remember him as one of the alien people in uh, Battlefield Earth. And that's all I could think of when I saw the trailer and he was in it. Um, and it has a bunch of new characters, but this takes place just a couple of months before Episode 4, the original Star Wars New Hope. Wow. Yeah. I like something is like it, that. Um, so, Lucasfilm would like to uh, continue making uh, side quest films. That's right. Every every year, I believe. Every year. So every second year will be a new st- episode, and every other year will be a new yeah. side quest, right? Um, I think that's a good idea, but uh, 
I mean, we just have to see how it turns out because I I can't say anything about the movie itself because I haven't seen it. And I Me just either. saw that trailer, so that's about it. Is it theatrical or teaser? Teaser. It said teaser. When's it coming out? December. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> trying to think. And uh, that's all I can say about it. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have nothing to say, really. Uh, um, I know that it's... Is the name it's directed Star- by Gareth Edwards. Star Wars colon Rogue Nation? Or just It's called Rogue One colon a Star Wars story. Uh, so it's going to oh, be it's not part of the So it's going to be like, you know, X-Men Origins Wolverine and they want to do X-Men Origins Magneto. X-Men Origins, we're back. Oranges, Origins. Yeah. And so they're going to do like the next one might be Han Solo, a Star Wars story. You know what I mean? Definitely. I mean, so we're going to do Dude, that. who knows? You know, it could be good, could be bad. Who knows? That's like the that's like the best no answer. Could mm-hmm. be good, could be bad. Yep. How long were we at? Wow, two hours. And then... I thought going to be like an hour episode. Cool. Uh, and then uh, there's going to be... Uh, well, that's a bit... Of, what, can I, what can I say? Uh, we wanted to mention... I just wanted else. to mention that our podcast uh, this yeah. year might not be very frequent. True, uh, true. The reason for that is that I have to do things. I'd like to. I'd like to. I'd like to work critical, on my movie. I have critical work in school. Yeah. You have, we have and I want to work on my movie. And I'm sure that once we start getting more people involved, and if they're interested, yeah, let's hope they will be, then you know things will kind of pick up, and then maybe doing a podcast won't be, you know, possible as frequently. But yeah. I would still love to be able to continue the tradition of keeping. To do month? at least some kind of podcast a month. throughout the year. Yeah. Throughout the year. Not just like, oh, we're taking a whole break for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like doing this because I think it's cool and I think we get to talk to, to people. Mm. And the way you were talking is, I think, very uh, nice and, and, nice and novel. And it's great to have people that we got to meet through the internet actually yeah, listening yeah. to us so and true. listening to you. And um and that's cool. Uh, so that's what's happening. I am still working on this film. Uh, I wish I could have said, "Oh, we went to some place and we got to meet people," uh, you know, and and we got to get people involved yeah. in the story. But we still didn't do that yet. I'm a little bit uh, just trying to fix some few things in the script. But I think we have a solid script. I think so it's too. been translated expertly by our friend Petra. Petra. Into Croatian already. So I know, right? that cool? now her job will be in the future is to alter lines that I feel like need to be altered because I have to write it in English because I'm not very good at writing in Croatian. And so she's going to have to double. Or she could just do it in, in her version, you know, just put it in Croatian. Uh, yes, then yes. The next step is going to looking uh, at the Croatian film scene, which uh, we have one vague connection to, so we might be able to speak with this person. And yeah, hopefully... Uh, you know, get something picked up from there, and that's where we are right now. And Kickstarter, I think we could. Do Wait, that when are we thinking of doing Kickstarter? Do we should reveal anything? I want to do the Kickstarter campaign. Summer. It might have to be summer. Uh, what? Remember, some people do Kickstarters like a year in advance because I want to see what the big like what we can do right now, right before. And I think that would even be better for the Kickstarter because we can mention that we have people who yeah. who are still who are interested in the in the project. It's a pretty good movie though, I think. Tim read the script. Yes. Our you know, like and to me Tim is like uh how would you say it? He's like sort of expert level, you know? Yeah. There's easy medium expert and yeah. I took the dive and you took mean, on you mean, expert. You mean either Tim hates it or loves it. Yeah, you mean, yeah, something like that. But I meant like because he is very, you know, he's very 
blunt with yeah, like what he thinks the problem find, is, what he doesn't like. You know, uh, doesn't pull any punches. Yeah, and so I was the test. Was yeah, test yeah, and script. so I am proud to say that it passed our, the Tim test. It passed the Tim test, which is good. I mean, which is actually amazing. Yes, because yeah, remember some... when we always made scripts and he read yeah. them. <laughs> but then again, this is crap. Then again, guys. you have to remember tranquility. Yes. Then so, again, I, I mean, you can't you can't compare the tranquility. Yeah, and, and of course, we were different people back then. Yeah, and I'm very proud of Petra for not doing a script before and actually doing a really good job. Really good job, man. Me too. I have to read. I, I know we read together. You yes. read, you read me the script. Yes. In bed, you're like <laughs> tucking me into bed. <laughs> Giant spiders, polar bears, and all that. Skull ship. Yeah. So that that's what's going on, man. And now, since we're talking about movies, we can move on to the pre-recorded, uh, yes, amazing conversation between me, Luke Coons, and Luke Coons about, about Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice. Spoilers all the way through. Have so. a good one. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks. Bye bye. So hey, everybody. Guess what? <coughs> Well, this is uh, this is an unexpected turn of events because it's just me and Luke today for you at the um, what can we call this, Luke? The uh, Luke and Phil review the, corner. This, the yes, the review grotto. <laughs> the review grotto. Uh, Jake is kind of uninterested in mentioning this film, but for you and me, it was kind He's of hiding. He just can't yeah, bear it. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a uh, long time coming. Yes. Yeah, three years in the making. Three years in the making of this interesting, you know, thing that just developed and ended, just mm. like you know, a day ago. Because that's when I watched the film, and this film is, of course, the DC Universe for the films kind DC of DC Universe expansion pack. Batman yeah, versus yeah, exactly, Superman. Exactly, the Dawn Batman of Justice. Man, Dawn of Justice. The longest title ever. <laughs> And to be honest, I didn't really want to watch the film because it just felt from what they were doing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe that DC was kind of just trying to do the same thing and it kind of felt like they rushed it Mm. a little too much. And Luke, you can probably, because I think this will be more of you talking than it will be of me. (laughs) Uh, It's just going to be a lot of um, explanations on maybe I'm going to ask you some questions about this because I probably don't remember much. But the only thing I do remember is that I just didn't want to watch this film in theaters. However, the tables really did turn because... Mm. You know, me and you, we were always expecting these films to uh, get received by the general audience as being awesome. You know, Dark Knight levels of hype surrounding it because, you know, who who can say no to Batman v Superman, right? And anything that Zack Snyder does, which is the director of this film, which is, you know, he's very he's pretty good at, you know, you know, composing a shot, which is always, you know, it's 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 hypeable, I guess you could say on uh in in a visual sense so everybody would just be going oh it was so epic so epic and uh but it didn't did it it just it was so weird i never expected something like this Mm -mm. well man of steel got bad reviews um it's certified rotten on rotten tomatoes and i walked out of that film i hated it from start to finish it was sloppy depressing boring everything um and yeah, so like yeah. when the reviews came out for this film, I, I didn't know what to expect. And I don't want to say pleasantly surprised or pleased when they were all coming out negative. But I wasn't... Right? But I wasn't I was expecting glowing reviews, like, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I thought it's like, oh, because... you got Batman, you got Superman, and stupid-ass Zack Snyder. 
that you just would have thought everyone would have been oh. like all in praise because it's finally a Batman and Superman film. And you just had three years of endless hype ever since that little trailer it's true. of the, that the hype two was, logos coming together. It really felt strong. The hype was strong. It was very big. I remember. I remember. The hype was strong with this film. As, especially since they kind of delayed the movie from, like, what was it supposed to be originally? 2014? 2015? It was 2015. I, I can't remember what Posh pushed it back. I think they were Star about War. clashing with, they were worried about clashing with, like, I think X-Men or Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. So they put it here where there's literally Avengers, Avengers. Oh, Avengers as well. That's what it was. Yeah, there was Avengers as well. Yeah. And Ben Affleck, remember when he was cast and we were all kind of, we're all kind of going, I was in opposition to that uh, back in the day when it was 2014, I think, or 2013. And they were like, Ben Affleck cast as Batman. And I'm like, hey, look, anybody could do Batman if Ben Affleck's doing it. I mean, I'm not saying he's bad for the role. It's just that, you know, I would always want someone new, a fresh face that would probably embody Batman, the character, a little bit more than what I was expecting Ben Affleck to mm. do. And I'll tell you what I thought about it once we get into talking about the actual film, Luke. When are we going to do that? Yeah. Um, I suppose we can we can start now, but I want to add on to the Affleck casting as well. Um, I was totally, totally opposed to it. Um Obviously, he was terrible as Daredevil. He's not bad in other films. I liked his Argo and stuff like that. But well, Argo is a movie he directed too. F- he, yeah, he was the director and he starred in it, and, and you know it was all right. But I just wasn't like, oh yeah, awesome. Let's see Ben Affleck as Batman. I yeah. for me, I I quite like. I like no kind of lesser name, no name, not so recognizable faces um, when it comes to these um, uh, these particular films. Um, yeah, bear like the... with me because hang on, I gotta close my window because it's raining so hard. That oh, I'm it's raining! Gonna... I wish it was raining here. It, was, it would be nice and cold, but it's, it's not. It's, it's actually getting started warm a properly storm. It. You know how I said we don't have thunder? It's actually thunder and everything happening at the moment. So that's fun. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's like it's, it feels like Gotham out there because apparently it's always raining in Gotham oh, yes, and every yes. metropolis. Of course. <laughs> Gotham. Um, but yeah, so when he was yeah when he was cast, I was like yeah you know whatever seems stupid, um, and everyone else is all kind of like oh this is a bad idea stupid what are they thinking, and then I just remember everyone turning yep, and being yep. just completely on board with it just because they saw a photograph of him in a Batman suit, <laughs> and I was like, I mean I could be in a Batman suit and look like a badass Batman. It's true. It's it's true. And yeah, I could that I would suck. I'd be probably the worst Batman ever. But well maybe yeah. I don't think so, but. <laughs> Well, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We got to get you in a Batman suit first. Exactly. But so the film, the film, the lovely, lovely film that we went to feast upon. So the story. I'll do. Do you want me to do a summary of the story? Do the summary of the story. Be my guest. I'm not good at those. Yeah, because I don't want to drag on. It's literally like <laughs> I'm living in the ocean. That's how wet it is outside. It's insane. I'll take wow. a picture and show you in a bit. Um, right, so the basic synopsis of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, is Batman is unhappy with the fact that 18 months ago, Superman destroyed all of Gotham, killing lots of people. And for the last 18 months, he's either been loved or hated by the people. He thinks he's a threat, so he's going to devise a plan to take Superman out. And in the meantime, Lex Luthor is wanting to obtain Zod's body 
a little bit of kryptonite because he wants to create a deterrent against supervillains or superheroes or superpower people who could be uh, potential threats. Um, and that's where it all kind of comes to a head as, you know, both Lex and Batman are trying to get to Superman um, and then there's some manipulation and then eventually they have to kind of team up. Uh, Batman and Superman have to team up against Lex because he's created the Doomsday Monster. Oh, um, man. And there you yes, go. There's, so there's, your, there's your final that was an am- That was an amazing synopsis. I have to say, you really crunched that down. I know. It's that pretty hard, let me tell you, because there's a, there's a shitload of plot in this film. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I have to agree with you there. Look, when I went to watch the movie with Jake, I was... Because everybody was giving all these bad reviews, and I always thought, mm. um, well, uh, I'm expecting this to be what you know the general public usually does, is they take it to the extreme. So if it's badly reviewed, that means that it must be hilariously like disastrous. Like I thought that this was going to be a movie where I'm going to watch and I'm going to laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't laugh, but... I laughed a couple of times, but not for good there's reasons. The, oh, wait, I, there, there are a few times where I did laugh. I just remembered. But it, it was kind of disappointing to me because I thought that this was going to be something you know something so bad that's good you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah just because of the reviews and then i remember no critics are reviewing this not the general public there's mm. a difference yes and when critics review it if it's bad it's probably you know like this is how they reviewed man of steel so man of steel wasn't particularly entertaining for my taste no. um and it had its problems as well but uh yeah uh this was kind of for me it was kind of more of the same and Mm-hmm. When the movie ended, I was pretty sad when I Oh my gosh, yes. It. And it wasn't because of the content in the film. Oi. No, I suppose not. It was Oh, by the um, way, everybody, spoilers, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So massive spoilers will be will be discussed during this. All right. So, so go ahead, Luke. What do you think? Do you want me to mention something or do you want to just let's, go let's ahead? Let's 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 wait till the end. Let's just kind of Let's wait. We're let's, waiting. Okay, what mm. I did is I got I got notes and I oh, got bullet no. points to kind of You got it. notes. All right. So let's do this. Okay. So first off, I have to admit yes. that you know like when everyone complained about the Amazing Spider-Man, the reboot. Hey, oh, we got another Ben, some, another Uncle Ben has to die. Here. Kind of thing. Yes. I was so disappointed and so exhausted within the first 90 <laughs> seconds of the film yeah, when I have, I have to, to re-see the death of the Waynes again. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I have to agree with you there. It's like, we've seen it, we get it, we know it, I don't need to see it. Um, yeah, Jake turned to me in the theater and was like, oh, this again? Yeah. Yeah, it was it, a little bit... Uh, it was exhausting, and that was redundant. the very first scene in the film. But I have to tell you, the guy who played Bruce's dad... Um, the comedian I, from Watchmen? Yes, uh, his name is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Mm-hmm. And... Someone mentioned that he would have been a much better Batman in this film. And I think, yes, because yeah, that would have that. been something new. I would have liked that. He's butch. He's big. And mm-hmm. I'm sure he can deliver a pretty emotional performance that goes in with Batman. And we will yeah. all have a new impression of the Bats. Yeah. Oh, Batman. True. True. And he, I did quite like him in The Watchmen, that kind of character where he was kind of a, a veteran yeah. hero. And obviously totally. he was not... He was not a squeaky clean either. He's a pretty dark character, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I and also, and I have to, and I have to commend uh, Zack Snyder and his um, casting direct because this is like the one thing that I really like from most of Zack Snyder's films, mm. which is 
like he re like his casting director and the the people they choose for the roles are like 90% they're really spot on and I think they work so well together and I have no idea why I'm saying this but it's I feel like that's like all the watchmen people that they cast you know what I mean like they yeah. all like are like pinpoint you know like really accurate and yeah, characters well. like like I don't know what people think about Henry Cavill as Superman, but I I really think he looks like a perfect Superman to me. Like I really have. This is what makes me sad. Not in, not, actually, not with yeah. Well, not with the character, but just the actor and his yeah. face and how he how he runs with the with the with the. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's what makes me sad. Is I actually like Henry Cavill. I mean, I've seen him in a few things. Um, I think he looks like a good Superman. I think if he had an actual Superman script, he could be really good yeah. um, as Superman. But sadly. He's had two films in a row that are supposed to be Superman that are in no way, shape, or form Superman, which is which is quite sad. Um, but yeah, so Overkill with the Waynes. We don't need to see it, but I do agree that um, the casting choices, for the most part, are quite good. I yeah. do not like Amy Adams as Lois Lane. Um, uh, well, I think we'll get to that. <laughs> we will. I got, I, got a, I got a bullet point. I got a bullet point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, <laughs> go on, sir. So then, okay. So once once we see the Waynes killed, then we get more rehash, and we have to re see bits of the the final battle in Metropolis. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, where? Uh, at, sorry, I keep interrupting. I should just let you keep going. Go, go on. on. Sorry. Well, me? Are you yes, sure? You? Okay. Well, um, I have to say that scene. These things weren't very trimmed, in my opinion. I feel like they could have really <laughs> clipped a few things in in all of this build up, and I think it would have been a lot better. You mean like liked... Bruce Wayne's like racing through the city, bashing? Yeah, into it things. takes five minutes. You know what I mean? Like it's a little bit, yeah, a little bit much there. But yeah, you know, no, we I mean, didn't, we I didn't like... need to see it to that extent. Yeah. And I had to laugh when bat when bruce wayne is like telling the people to evacuate the building oh man that was i I'm was like, i, I actually i just kind of like yeah that thanks that's yeah. that's very uh very on time there i know it's and then then the, then the guy turns around to the employee and says boss says we gotta evacuate let's make it happen people it's like sorry there's like this but wall i would have made it happen hours ago right. when this whole <laughs> big massive bloody alien ship descended yeah, upon us yeah 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 like i would have been hightailing it out like i don't care if i lose my job peace i'm out like no 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 they're really good workers Wayne Corporation you know enterprises yes. they perfect, will work spotless through they uh, love it an alien terror attack they don't even <laughs> give a shit they will just keep nope. on pressing buttons that's right um so that I Wayne just thought was, I thought that was ridiculous um the subplot know. with the guy who loses his legs yeah that was that was that was <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing that happened in the film yeah like that was there and it was relatively it was pointless because we've got well, this through the film, character yeah. like who's lost his legs and he graffitis the statue okay then he has a conversation with lex and decides to be a um suicide bomber at the you know uh, yeah did, did he decide that though yeah uh, well, oh, I thought I thought Lex just put it in there, no one knew. I don't know. I can't tell. It's not clear because the story is not clear. Um, no. I thought he was yeah, maybe manipulated into becoming a suicide bomber, or maybe not. Maybe it was just a a joke um, played by Lex on that guy. <laughs> you know, um, it was a joke. And then once he dies, it's like that's the end of it. Like that whole plot of of Superman being a potential villain and a threat is poof gone. 
at that yeah, point. Yeah, I thought that once the explosion happened, I really thought uh, everybody would be even more angry at Superman. But then the radio, they were like, nope, we found out that it was, so, you know, believed to be from someone else. And it's yeah. like, well, I don't know where this is going, guys. Yes, yeah, it, it doesn't go anywhere. Sorry. It doesn't go anywhere. And that's one thing that, you know, <laughs> one of the many things that I, I just didn't like. Yeah. Um, you know, there was and and there's the added piece of that plot line where, you know, eventually Lex tries to say that he was behind it all and he was, you know, resending all the checks back to Bruce Wayne and right. all that kind of stuff. But like Bruce Wayne and he's and Lex is using that to manipulate Bruce to kind of go after Superman, but Lex doesn't even receive that stuff until that explosion. So it's like, well, how have you been manipulating stuff for two years? If like yeah. if he's just now receiving yeah. that information. See, let's go to Lex Luthor for a second. Yes, Jesse Eisenberg. Um, yes, hipster uh, extraordinaire. This is true. Mark, but Mark Zuckerberg. Now, <laughs> I haven't seen that film, so this might be a little bit uh, uninformed, as it were. But I have to tell you, I actually kind of liked the Lex Luthor in this film. No, I hated it. <laughs> I hated him. Well, look, I liked it because I felt like it was a bit different, and I, I think, I know, I, I know you don't think... watch much television, but you should really watch a couple of episodes that are like Lex heavy of Smallville, because he is okay. literally the definitive Lex. Whether small, I mean, don't get me wrong, Smallville was epically cheesy, and it ended really badly. And but one thing about that Lex is he was both. An amazing businessman. He was a mad scientist, and at the same time, you were like, "Dude's got a point." Like you actually believed in him, while at the same time, he's mad and murdering people and manipulating oh. people. Like he, Michael Rosenbaum, okay, then. is the Lex Luthor. Um, All right, and then. there's so many cast members in Man of Steel and in Batman vs Superman that were in Smallville. It was almost like really? loads, absolutely loads. You almost would have thought just cast michael rosenbaum like he's big in the dc universe yeah. he, he's the voice of the flash for the cartoons um oh, really so he's nuts. he's a massive dc fan and a and and stuff like that he's played multiple characters he would have been perfect as lex um and it could have almost been a, a redeeming factor to this yep. to this film um, yeah i got nothing to say there yeah because what i felt with lex of you know he was like he was just like a scatty, bratty little punk. And it's like, you know, I don't need to hear about your dad in Germany eating stale crackers. Like, you know, what <laughs> what sir, what point did that serve? Like he the the type of Germany he was describing was like some sort of like Nazi Hitler Germany, not, you know, what would have been like, I don't know, nineteen sixties Germany. Like, come on, it just didn't it just didn't seem yeah, I just, oh, it just didn't buy it. Yeah, didn't yeah, buy okay. it. Well, you know, he, he comes over because Lex like, oh, he came over on a boat or something like that to build a empire in America. It's like they made it sound so archaic. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Uh, <laughs> like, well, never mind. See, this is why we have experts such as you, Luke, for, to, <laughs> to say such things, because I don't know. I just thought this one was kind of different. But then again, I'm just looking at it from a perspective. He of, was uh, different. I didn't mind different, but he movies. just wasn't he just wasn't Lex. He was more like. He was he's basically the Joker. Which one? Any of them. He was just he was like a Joker character, as in like the Ooh, Joker. The Joker. Yeah. Um <laughs> and I mean like, Batman. like when he's uh, I don't understand how Going people on got Joker on board here. with him. 
because you have that yeah, scene between yeah. him and that government guy, if you remember. And he's like, what do you want? And he's like, I want access to the spaceship. Okay, fine. I want... Yeah, but Jolly Ranchers, I want Zod's dude. body. And he's like, okay, fine. And then he pops a, a Jolly Rancher into the guy's mouth. <laughs> I'd have been like, the hell you doing? Get <laughs> off me, you freak. Don't touch That's me. true. Like... That was yeah, odd, and yeah. then that next scene when he's with this, the the hillbilly senator. Um, you mean you mean uh, Helen Parr yes. from The Incredibles? Sure. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, I was like, when, she, when he's like, the red capes are coming. The red capes yeah, are I did, coming. I just, I'm like, he's blatantly crazy, and he's not doing anything to make yeah, you think we should believe in him. He's actually someone you say actually we should stay away from him because he's batshit crazy. All right, yeah, you know what? You you won me over there. Never mind then. <laughs> it's so, true. So Lex, I don't know. It's I all true. Now, I got to ask you this. Very beginning of the film, did you notice that Jimmy I, Olsen was in it? That was Jimmy Olsen? Did you notice him? No. So that guy who's with Lois at the yeah, terrorist with the, with the camera, right? Camp. Jimmy Olsen, yeah. Yep, Photographer that, extraordinaire. Yes, that, that, <laughs> that's Jimmy Olsen who... Well, he died, didn't he? Who Zack Snyder decided to turn into a CIA agent who is executed in the head with a gun. That was Jimmy Olsen. I don't, I don't get this, man. I don't understand. I, I don't understand. <laughs> Luke, I don't understand. I don't get it. You know, I'm like, you know, you've taken an iconic character, someone who's been with Superman for decades and decades... And then without half the, half the audience even being aware of it, you have the character, you kill the character, and you also completely destroy his entire, um, what's it, his entire history. And it's like, right, cause he's, he's pretty much the journalist and he's always hanging out with Lois and there's always yeah. some kind of fun He's a photographer. He's a photographer. And he's also like a kid, right? He's like much younger than he's supposed he to be, be a young, a young kind of, you know, new to the, new to the biz thing. Yeah. Um, and we can't have that in our movie. No. And what cracks me up as well is that scene where they um, find the tracking device inside the camera. It's like, why is he using a camera that has film in the first ah. place? <laughs> like, they spend, oh, he's, he's just Zack a hipster, Snyder spends you know, so much time wanting to be modern and realistic, and then he goes and does a dickhead move like that? Yeah, that's 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 some '90s stuff right there, you know. It's, and uh, you know, hey, films coming back into popularity. Come Only on, with hipsters, the times, man. Yeah, you know. So that was just kind of like, well, you just completely ruined. And the of character course, the beeping there. tracker. Beep, beep. Yeah, beep. it didn't make any <laughs> sense at all. All right, so what are they doing in in Saudi? Where are they again? Somewhere Who knows? The They're in Terrorland. That's where they are. In Terrorland. What are they doing in <laughs> Terrorland anyway? I forget what ha- was happening. Some kind of plot about people being. Something or other, and Lois Lane being there. Sorry, can we talk about Lois now? Can we just talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about Lois for a minute. Yeah, um, I'm very disappointed because like there's nothing in her at all, like as a character. She's just a walking, completely vapid, talking, you know, symbol of nothing. What could be a character, but it's like, you know, it's like those reserved seats in theaters, and it's still reserved. No one actually came up to, uh, yeah, you know, occupy it. So. Ooh. Kind of just there. No, she no, was I like agree. that in the first one too. I'm afraid. Uh, oh yeah, it just wasn't wasn't my favorite. No, it was my favorite thing. No, I, I went back and rewatched the first one before seeing Batman versus Superman. Why? Um, and I just remember being, I just didn't understand why Superman even liked her. I didn't like that they made her that she just well, kind of no, rushes it, into yeah, finding out who yeah, Superman yeah, yeah, is, yeah. and then I couldn't understand why they rushed this relationship 
um, that just didn't feel natural. There was no kind yeah. of natural growth to it. It was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> this is very true. Sure, um, whatever. You are main character. I am main character. Let us kiss. <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, so yeah, she, she was she was terrible. Um, and you know, it was... <sighs> It was not great, my yeah. friend. It was Let's, not fantastic. Uh, I think fantastic. we've covered that shit. Let's, because it is shit. <laughs> let's talk about, let's focus on Batman for a minute. Batman. Now that we're into the film, not just kind of the casting, let's yeah, actually yeah. talk about Batfleck on screen. All right, well. What did you think? You Okay, well, um, I'll just be straightforward with this. I thought he was just, you know, he's just a Batman. A Batman. He wasn't the Batman. He was just a Batman. Mm-hmm. I felt that uh, he could just, it could be anybody else. And I still stuck with what I thought before, which was that, you know, we could have gotten another actor and he would have probably been more interesting as a Batman character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because Ben Affleck is Ben Affleck, we know how he looks like already. So it's kind of like, yeah, Batman, <laughs> Ben Affleck. True. That's how I feel like it. True. It's just, it didn't strike me as I'm seeing Batman. I'm seeing an actor playing Batman because it's Ben Affleck, you know? That's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah, I think... You. Go around. I said you. Oh, what right, about so, you? Saws. Um, no, I mean, like, for me, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to. <laughs> okay. But yeah. I definitely feel like he was average. Yeah, he did great, though. I thought, you know? I mean, like, he... No, no, he didn't do, like, the character and the actor coming together wasn't my cup of tea, wasn't what I was... What I felt was a better Batman. Mm. But, I mean, he... You can really feel that he likes... Batman. He's a fan of the character, and so he yeah. tried his best to yeah. be. He definitely did a lot Batman, better with this than ben he Affleck. did with Daredevil. Obviously, <laughs> I think. I think one of the big. Yeah, yeah. One of the big things, you know, there was a couple of things that I kind of enjoyed. Um, I like that, you know, uh, Bruce Alfred, Wayne. Right? Oh, Alfred, right? I hate Alfred. I'll come Why to, you I'll hate come to that in a second. Um, I think Bruce Batman. Uh, he was good as he was decent as Bruce Wayne ish. Um, he's obviously a lot more recluse and I could imagine because they, there's an offhand comment that says they've been at this for 20 years. So it's like, okay, so he must've started Batman when he was in his like, what twenties or something like that. Um, cause he's, we his, got that he's in the Robin his, shirt. Yeah. Um, yep, so yep. I could have imagined that Bruce Wayne being the kind of flashy playboy one. And now that he's been Batman for so long, he's kind of a recluse and doesn't really do a whole lot. So he's in these social scenes um, but he's not really the focal point, you know, he's, he's kind of old news in terms of his being rich and all that kind of stuff, but he's around. Um, and I kind of like that he was using that to his advantage to be kind of detective-y and find yeah, stuff at out. Least so I was like, something like that, I'm yeah. okay with that. Like that was a, that was fine. Um, you know, he didn't, you know, I thought he was all right as, as Bruce. And then, um, Hi, and then Bruce. thought when he was actually in the suit and doing Batman, I was kind of like, you know, you're, you know, you, it's, it's fine. You know, it's cool, I guess. You know, I wasn't like, I wasn't laughing at that so much um, <laughs> yeah, as, yeah, as no, much no, as I thought it was going to be. I didn't really always feel like I was just seeing Ben Affleck in a Batman suit. Um, and of course, like the voice and everything, like I know I've been always vocal about the voice mm. because for me, Ben Affleck always had sort of like a higher register voice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't naturally deep. It wasn't Kevin Conroy or anything like that. Right. But, uh, yeah. So what they did was, of course, they digitally yeah um, pitch shifted it, which is fine mm. and that's great. But then that sort of kind of summarizes or proves that uh, 
anybody could just just play Batman. Yeah, and, and it is one of those things that is happening a lot in superhero shows. Um, I know Arrow, the Arrow does it. Um, yeah, I know they do it. The Flash will speed up his vocal cords so that it's it's uh, not clear. Um, his voice isn't clear. Um, it's one of the things they're trying to, in terms of the live action stuff, make it more plausible that these people can have dual identities and they can, they're not using their natural voices. And I, you know, I get it, whatever, but I agree. It was just kind of like, Oh, here's, you know, at least, you know, at least Bale ruined his vocal cords trying to be different. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Where is she? Where you prepare for good. (laughs) Mm, Joker. Um, I didn't like, and this has, this is where it's kind of tricky because it doesn't really have anything to do with Ben Affleck or anything. It's more, it's more the script. Um, I didn't like that Zack Snyder was so keen to have Batman killing. Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like many people who want to uh, portray Batman on screen who are, like, big fans of the Bat, mm. it's like they always go back to Dark Knight Returns and always try to make a brutal, brooding, super ultra-violent Batman that will not hesitate to kill anybody for justice. <laughs> Doesn't the Punisher do that, though? Basically, yeah. The Punisher is... He's, that's what he does. He, if you've done anything bad he will just kill you yeah and so they think that batman is like that and i feel like that kind of just you know amping it up to 11 again that's not kind of what batman should be doing it should be a very it should be like a you know that's his balance his balance is trying to be as threatening and scary as he can but not you know not take lives willy-nilly yes i mean the dark the dark Knight returns is him very old very angry (laughs) you know like that's why he's got a robot suit because he's so old (laughs) well not not not, that's not why he's got it but you know he's yeah he you know he's 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 a very bitter batman at that stage he's not so what about your violent batman here the violent batman it just it didn't feel it didn't feel right there was in the story batman wise because i'm like okay he's clearly got his bat signal his floodlight um, he's apparently been at it for 20 years, they say, um, yet he's still known as a myth, something that might be there, might not be there. I'm like, but he's got a bat signal. <laughs> he's got a bat signal. You know, the, he's branding, he's branding people, but they, but the way oh, they portray yes, it. branding people. Yeah, the way they portray it is like he's brand new to the scene. This is and I don't I'm understand like, how yeah, you can put in two hundred million dollars. Like Clark's like, oh, I'm going to go chase this bat vigilante, um, and Perry White's like, oh, but it's old news. You're on sports today, Clark. Like the Daily Planet yeah. wouldn't have someone who's already on sports. Ridiculous. Uh, okay. Um, and it was just kind of like if he's new news, go chase it. If he's old news, then we should already know that he's there. It shouldn't be this mythical thing. Wow. It just didn't add up at Yikes. all. I don't. I don't know what to say. I mean, this is sort of stuff that you're gonna have to think about when you're, you know, when you're, you know, in pre-production. What are you shooting? Exactly. <laughs> and then when you're editing it, how can you do that? You could, you could have easily just had some ADR, and then we could have just made it look like, hey, Batman's new to the scene too. So then it would have probably been fixed. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, because they they mentioned that like in the early in the film, they mentioned that Batman has, uh, you know, some prisoners. Batman's somehow getting into the prisons and branding people in prison. Um, and obviously we see that in the end when, spoiler alert, <laughs> Lex is in prison. And I'm like, okay, if he's new to the scene, 
No one knows who the hell he is. How can he get into the prisons without having connections? Obviously, yeah, it's going to be Jim Gordon stuff, but you don't have, well, I a, forgot you about don't have a bloody floodlight that you shine to the sky and still be a myth. Yeah, I know. I know, man. Like, you just don't. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, this This is, I'm saying, the plot just doesn't know where it wants to go. It doesn't know what it wants to be, how it wants to get there. It's just throwing stuff in, you know, willy-nilly. Yep, it's ridiculous. Yep. Man, so there's two sides of this movie. By the way, when we watched this film, we had a 15-minute break between. We had an intermission. No how way. Nice God, I would have loved an intermission. Oh, yeah, because like, we never would to come like, back. refresh ourselves. So the beginning of the film, the first half as I would like to say, it was a huge buildup. It felt like it to me. Oh, God, I know. And you know what? I have to say that there are some ideas in there that I really was interested in, especially how they were trying to pull in the repercussions of the destruction of Metropolis from the first film. And I was kind of interested in hearing how they were doing that. And I liked Mm -hmm. that people were, didn't, some people didn't like Superman, some people thought Mm -hmm. he was great and he's a hero and a savior and all that kind of thing but then he gets shunned by a lot of other people Mm -hmm. i thought that conflict was great this the thing about the movie is that they had like three or four really interesting ideas but they had to put all of them in one movie Mm -hmm. and then and then there were so many different scenes that were always like sort of building up to different things where it just was hard to keep up with any of them so they kind of canceled each other out dramatically speaking and when it built up all the way to the middle, I, it was like just, it was a hodgepodge, my friend. Yes. No, I, I, I agree completely because it's like, let me think here. The visions and the dreams. Oh my God, the dreams. God almighty. <laughs> can I just Post-apocalyptic say, Batman. No, 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 no. That opening dream when the bats are flying around young Bruce I hate, and he's oh, ascending no, into the light just... which why is he ascending into the light yeah. he's ascending into darkness or descending rather I, I told I told Jacob what about I, know, Jacob, what I laughed I laughed audibly at that scene I just, I because wasn't... one yeah. the kid just looks so stiff as he's you know spinning around and being lifted up it just was ridiculous for a dream it's just it was the, stupid, the stupidest thing and then of course then the I next know, dream is you know there's a couple things happening there that scene when he's when Batman is in Mad Max territory, um, yes. which is basically Mad basically Max what Man. it was, Mad Bat or something like Bat, that. Bat Max Man. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like it was that that stuff was was showcased so much in the trailer that I yes. thought I thought, oh cool, Batman has to go to like some sort of desert to find out some shit and maybe there's some sort of weird superman cult because they're worshiping superman that's why they have his emblem on his wow stuff. i didn't even think of that you know that and cool. i was like okay that could be interesting maybe and then to find out that that whole thing was a dream i was like and with the cg monkey thing whatever that was yeah i know i was like what a waste of a, of a cool like sahara bat suit <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know i didn't like the suit very much it was kind of cheesy to me i don't know there was something about it that was oh, like man. it was just i kind of liked it. i can't lie i, I admit that i like <laughs> okay. it um i like the the one dream i liked was when the when there was blood coming through the uh the morgue no not the morgue the, the, the memorial thing going on oh yes of course yes and then but then there's that really out. awkward one where it's like is that a dream or what and that was when that person bursts out of a portal in front of him and he's like bruce bruce Lois oh, is the king. Whoa, I totally forgot that even existed. I mean, that is clearly... What was that? That is... What was that? I forgot. 
that's the Flash. The Flash has oh. the Flash has time travel capabilities, uh, uh, as it were. Um, it's Flash from the TV show, right? Of course. No, they've got a different Flash. That's stupid. I know it is, but it's 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 better off in the long run. Trust me. Okay. Um, I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, I don't understand their their strategy here. I thought the they film, were going to try to connect. The films everything. and the TV shows will never will never be connected, um, fully. Okay. It just isn't going to happen. Um, what was that? So they, it's clearly a link in, in a foreshadow for the Justice League. There's obviously, you know, Lois is going to be some important factor to, you know, some sort of resolution, you know, kind of thing. And that's that's all that was. That was just a thing for that. Um, and yeah, it was it was just, it you know, it was, wow. the dreams were were all over the place, and it was just I hard totally to follow these the main stories because you have subplots dream plots and things like that oh hang yeah. on a second but there were some good ideas and this was the one thing that really surprised me mm. like i was really like impressed did i tell you about this no i didn't i was really impressed and actually quite like this was a new angle that i didn't think of that i thought was pretty effective for the amount of time that it was on on screen and that was that they kind of built up with that vision okay the vision of post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, DC universe with mm-hmm. Superman, uh, that's that's a bit over the top and everything. But with that uh, idea in mind, the idea of being afraid of Superman and his, you know, powers mm. and how they made soups look like, uh, we don't know if he decides to be bad. We're all, you know, we're toast, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, and then the serious issue of someone with such such great power and you know he's an alien and everything and i kind of like mm-hmm. and when it came to the end of like the first half of the film where uh batman in his giant bat tank <laughs> uh is chasing down this uh um kryptonite so he can you know secretly you know have an advantage against soups mm-hmm. and then superman actually shows up and i was actually kind of a little bit like scared for batman and then when superman like tore open that the, the roof of the tank and then Batman shows up to confront him it was a completely different feeling of mm-hmm. what I thought was going to actually happen because in the Me trailers too. it looked like oh, I'm Batman I'm not afraid of you do you bleed you know <laughs> and I thought that was it because then for me that's stupid you know yeah. but in this case it was like we were on Batman's side kind of afraid mm-hmm. of Superman threatening and Batman actually stands up for himself and it felt like like wow, that's why he's Batman because he's afraid, but he's still gonna confront yeah. this ultra powerful guy. And I thought that was really like I thought that was a cool angle that I didn't even, you know, I wouldn't even have thought of. But yeah. when that's over, it, it that that's the end of that. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't go anywhere with it. But true, it's I thought true. that was interesting. So I want to give it. I just want to say that idea was pretty interesting. It was something. It was basically someone obviously wrote tell me do you bleed and then they just try to make a scene around that um which you know i here's here's the problem when it comes to superman they just don't get it he's not supposed to seems like they don't because like every time i think about him i don't know miserable boring grumpy moody character i mean when you look at all those scenes that are in the trailer um of superman you know saving the people in the flood saving the people in the day of the dead, saving the the, sh- the rocket that's exploding, you know? When he's saving all that kind of stuff, and he's pulling the, the big-ass giant boat in the Yeah, yeah, in that was just a little montage. I felt over. they added the, the Like, every the single scene, he's grumpy. Like, he, he doesn't really he do looks anything, like, 
he looks like humanity is a burden to him. <laughs> and it's like, look, if you're so miserable, then piss off. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. Like, you know, even, I mean, there was slightly just a, there was a tiny bit more hope um, in the Man of Steel by the end, but that was also very yeah, grim yeah, yeah. and bleak. Um, and it's like Superman I don't understand. is I really never don't understand. meant to be grim and bleak. He's always supposed to be a beacon of light and hope for humanity. He's sent to Earth yeah. to show humanity that there is hope in the universe, you know, that, you know, to strive to be better, you know. Yep. Um, and they keep wanting to tease this Christological, Christ-like character. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but they do it in such a way that's just like it's counter, I don't want to believe in counterproductive that. to like what Superman is always being portrayed as in these movies. Mm. Yeah, and mm. that yeah, it really does. I understand what you mean, and I can see that as well. Like when I'm thinking about so like the when, character, when he, so that scene when he when when uh, Superman Batman comes or when Superman comes down, he's like, "Oh, the bat is dead. End it now. This is this is me showing you mercy." It's like I thought hold that the was. Phone. When when is when has Superman ever been about making threats? I know, but I thought in this case, like with that idea that I was mentioning previously, I thought that that yeah. really made it pretty like an interesting dichotomy. Considering, but then he goes and does it again at the end. Well, of yeah, then, then, like, then, then yeah, I should, it's, I should it's... break every bone in your body. It's like whoa, whoa, or when he's like, stay down. If you were, if I wanted you dead, you'd be dead already. It's like. Come on, dude! Like, <laughs> you're supposed to be Superman. You're like just making like you're making death threats now, dude. Like, where's your, where's your peace? Where's your aim for, you know? Yeah, you're not yeah. a peaceful person, are you? Yeah, but I, I, you know, yeah, and I, but I thought that if they had an angle for it, which I don't think they had in this case, I no. always felt that I felt that this, you know, the whole thing with Superman kind of giving some threats. I thought that was going to be part of the film where Batman would kind of defeat Superman and then it would put him in his place a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Superman will, will, will start to rethink what he, who he is so he can be the hero that we know. But that kind of didn't happen either, so it really doesn't matter in the end. Yeah. So I, you're completely right. Yeah, and this has just so many things going on, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, too, to it's too hard so, to focus in the film, to be honest. Man. Um, and then the next half, the last half of the film is just stuff happening yeah and the 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 meta humans are introduced oh my god oh my god the best way i describe that when when he sends that email to to wonder woman and he's like oh i found this picture it's you um and then she starts clicking on all the all the links i love the fact that lex was kind enough to develop logos for you know people like the flash and cyborg and aquaman so kind of you lex um i just felt like watching those clips were like watching DVD bonuses, like, oh, exclusive, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it, it felt like you're watching a clip on a DVD where it's like, here is a, you know, found footage of a watching DVD extras. Like, oh, here's some <laughs> mysterious, here's a mysterious oh, it was funny. footage of this, of the Flash. Here's mysterious footage of this weird awful yeah. creature, you know. Aquaman, but that, that was, was so the worst. funny. That was the worst, Aquaman. That was so funny. I laughed out loud at that scene. Yeah, we kind of chuckled as well. I was like, it just felt so bad. Um, so I didn't, I, to me, I I kind of felt like Batman v Superman 
is the Iron Man 2 of the DC Extended Universe. It's just nothing but a big commercial for the fact that they're trying to grow an extended universe out of their films. Because yeah. it's, not, it's not a versus film. Like, when Batman and Superman finally, it's, it's not... finally fight, that fight lasts about 10 seconds. It, yeah. You know, yeah, it's like, true. we thought this film was going to be about them fighting. It's not. At all. Literally. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. It's about them fighting Doomsday. <laughs> or that wasn't me imitating Doomsday. That was me being upset. I know. <laughs> Trust me. I yeah. Know. But before that, Martha! Oh, man. Can we just have a moment of silence for how ridiculous it is that the, the thing <laughs> that brought these two together was the fact that their mommies have the same name? Uh, oh, man. I just I don't I I, I don't know what to say I I, I don't know I was just, what's this you know I read this I read this really, interview with with Zack Snyder who thought who just said that oh I just thought like it was a really kind of crucial thing you know there was all this time with Clark and Martha so it just felt normal to you know have them come together on that it's like no it doesn't feel normal it, it doesn't work mate it was ridiculous I was like he spent no, eighteen months work, of dude. hating Superman to being like oh you have a mommy that you love i had a mommy that i love okay let's be friends are you serious <laughs> super friends it was ridiculous and then the super friends go and attack <laughs> the big bad which was doomsday i guess and yes. the monster cave troll out of work from lord of the rings or mm. hobbit films he needs some work so hey he auditioned as the as as doomsday got the job then we have fights, and we have a lot of references to comics that would have been so much better as their own films, Luke, mm-hmm. if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh, dreadful. And then it's just the, just the action. It's just the actions and the fights and the and the cha-cha-cha. And Wonder Woman, I, I have to say, I thought she was pretty good for who she was. In the yeah, movie. I was going to say, the one, the one thing I took away from this film was that I did like Wonder Woman. She was in it for very long, um, and... And to be, in all fairness, she is the only one who really fought Doomsday. Yeah, she was like, yeah! Batman hit underneath a a bloody rock the entire time, and Superman was (laughs) floating out in space because apparently an atomic bomb can dismantle him with whatever. Um, Don't understand that at all. (laughs) But whatever. Um, You know, she was, you know, she kind of came in and and was like, if anything, it has me more interested in her film than any other DC film. Right, right. Um, I'm kind of like, yeah. What, what do you think of her theme? Because Jacob really liked her... her I don't even know how... That, yeah, that bit was like... Like, it was... Um, I kind of liked it, but I just... It threw me because it just... In some ways, it felt forced. <laughs> it was kind of like... Yeah. It didn't, well, it here's didn't fit what's really the tone forced, of the film, though. basically. And so when yeah, that yeah, just well. suddenly burst out, when she comes on the screen, it's like, oh, they're trying to, they're trying really hard to make a point here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you have to say, what's really forced about this is the new, what I believe is the new Batman theme. Oh, it's just like four notes. Ho, 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 ho. And the choir. Ho, 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 ho. Oh, God. It's hilarious. And me and Jacob were kind of, we laughed a few times because there was such a, it felt like there was such a huge need to make Batman super intense and they put that music and he's just like you know I don't know he's just grumpy grumpy man and it was hilarious we thought it was like really there's some funny stuff in there 
Yeah, no, so anyway, I, I, they I didn't fight. Really, I didn't really pick up too much on the Batman the... theme. I've, I've listened to the score and stuff, but um, I just, um, I, re- I really, really, really don't like it um, in general. Do you I know like Hans Zimmer said bit. that he was... Do you know Hans Zimmer said he said I'm officially retired from superhero. Thank you movies. for blessing us with that. That is very great to hear. <laughs> yeah, this one kind of went uh went went the deep end there. And then the ending happens where a super we do the classic uh superhero like Well, first uh, off, and obviously the, the main spoiler we haven't said is, is the fact that at the end of the Doomsday fight, you know, when they they spoil the film already with the trailers because the minute they showed Doomsday, well, yeah, you yeah, knew that he was definitely. gonna die. You cannot have Doomsday and not kill Superman. Un- unbelievable. So you knew that was gonna happen. And then when it does happen, you're kind of like, Oh, but they're gonna film Justice League in like two months. So he's in it, so that's, yeah, a, so who that's cares? a complete waste of a death. Exactly. Where's the impact? And when Jacob and I were watching this, we were just like, we we're watching the sad montage. What, what am I supposed to be sad about? Yeah. We it's all like, know uh, it's not going to... Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, yep, you're having was, your funeral for Superman, really you're having hard super to for see. Clark, but you know that he's going to come back in the next film. It's really hard to watch because... Like, not, not because of the movie, because of the... Because of like, why? Why is this even in here? I don't mm. understand. And they, their Zach's whole really thing is that understand. it's it's there because you know, uh, that's what needs to motivate that's Batman the to way. put the Justice League together. Yes, dude. You know that's so funny because I was think I was telling that to Jake because I didn't hear any interviews or anything like that. But I when we were talking about Superman dying, it's like, well, pro- Zack Snyder probably said in an interview that's what it takes to earn Batman's trust. You know. And I, <laughs> I guess it's correct. Mm. Yeah, oh, man. It, it was just it was just absolute silliness from start from start and to finish. The, and yes, the movie ended. I was just I couldn't believe it. It was like because there's so many things that are interesting on their own and they could be developed, but they just yeah. crammed it in. They just crammed it in the mm. sandwich. The sandwich doesn't taste good at all. And and what I absolutely love is there's an interview with with Henry Cavill sometime after Man of Steel and like so how would you do Justice League and he's like well you know I don't think you should do a film where you throw it all together in one go because that could be really tricky you should definitely do a couple introductory <laughs> oh, films man. Um, and it's like god that's hilarious because he actually you know he himself Superman says I wouldn't do what was done in Batman versus Superman um, just, I don't understand this film mm-hmm. I don't understand it I don't uh. understand the film I don't understand what DC are trying to do I mean you know <laughs> Suicide Squad's about to come out, and that I looks, don't, I'm not that looks terrible. That. And the, the fact they have to do reshoots to make it more funny is already a clue to anyone who's paying attention that this film is already I don't bad. Understand. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. And mm-hmm. it's unfortunate because, you know, Batman is cool and Superman's yeah. cool. And, and I don't want to compare. Stories. I don't want to be like, oh, Marvel's better. I don't. Marvel does it better. We never said that, by the way, in this no. whole review. So, but it's like yeah. if you hate the film, it ba- people automatically think that you think Marvel is better. And I think no, because I'm already kind of getting burned out with the Marvel thing. But you know, that's yeah. me personally. But go on. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Marvel definitely is. You know, they're they're pushing out a whole lot of stuff, and so now you kind of have to be picky and choose you with what you're going to follow. And I think there's certain things that Marvel have done really great. You know, to keep themselves fresh and and take bizarre people like Guardians of the Galaxy and be amazing. Um, I think what they've done with Daredevil is outstanding i think that is probably one of the best things that marvel's done since they've begun um you know oh yeah daredevil is out is an amazing show and definitely shows a much daredevil! much darker side of marvel um something that it's it's dark similar to what dc fans want but there's still the thing that dc lacks is emotion and heart um 
you know, yeah. DC on the small screen on TV. So you yeah. have you have Supergirl, which is cheesy as all out. But then you have the, the Flash, which I talk about a lot because I love it. Um, it's a good See, it's a good go. blend of you have your serious action, you have your comic booky nerdiness, but then you also have characters that you like. You you've invested in them. They they have their problems. They have their ups. They have their downs, um, and you get behind them. You know, you, oh, you nice, feel for yeah. them. And that's something that the films lack. I didn't care for Batman. I didn't care about anything that he was doing. I didn't care about Superman. I didn't care about Lex. I didn't care about Lois. I didn't care about Perry White. I don't think anyone cared about Lois. No. because Except Superman. Yeah. For some reason. And it's like, why? She's boring, dude. Let her die. Um, <laughs> you know, I, there was nothing about any of the characters that you felt was compelling and that yep. you could relate to. And so it was just kind of like... Blah. I mean, you know. Well, that plus the uh, the fact that there's all kinds of stories going on where you can't follow any of them, and they never really conclude themselves or satisfy you emotionally in yep. any it's true. way. And... and I think as well, the last the last point that I'm going to make is I didn't like that so much of the film felt so unnecessarily realistic. I mean, the whole fact that, that they're talking about terrorism and you have very 9-11-ish looking scenes and you have uh, yeah, these yeah. news reports that are very typical that you see all the time and you have these government meetings that are very typical and you see all the time it was like you know the real world is depressing enough and we <laughs> invest in these superhero films and these action films because it's a escapism and two it's it's a, they're supposed to be stories that make you hope again you know that they're, they're you know the as Brian Singer says they're the modern day kind of mythology, Greek mythology. You know, you want to invest in in what um, in these characters and, and be empowered by them and inspired by them, not walk out of the cinema feeling like, oh my god, I want to jump off the nearest cliff. I was playing background music for you there. I could hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. You know, there was well, there's just there's just no hope and it was it was a sad thing to walk out of the cinema after that film and just oh, feel yeah, like yeah, it was difficult. Utter depression. I mean Janice was with me and she was like I kind of thought she might enjoy it ish because sometimes we differ on, on some films. Um but no, she walked out and she's like I mean she felt like we just we wasted the day to the point where like it was quite uh, late yeah. and she still she wanted to go out and do more things because she wanted to make up the time that we had spent yeah, wasting yeah. sitting in the cinema watching that dire piece of film yeah now when i got out i just was thinking about all the batman stories you could do that were good and how sad mm-hmm. it was that i had to see these characters and i didn't really under like didn't you know it was very yeah. disappointing to me and uh yeah and i wish i wish there was more I wish there was a better movie. <laughs> yeah. And then now, one thing I will say... Going last, back to Dark Knight... Sorry, go on. The very last thing I will say is that obviously there's a lot of chatter going on saying that Affleck has completed a solo script for a Batman story. Right, um, yeah, yeah, And there's a lot of people saying, oh, we really want him to direct it and all that kind of stuff as well. And I'll admit, as long as Zack Snyder is not directing it or anything... I think that we have a better chance of having a better Batman film than what Batman versus Superman is. Because look, the fact is he's going to be able to see all this negative stuff. And you've seen the sad fleck um, video, haven't yeah. you? You know, he, oh, he's, yes, I have. you know, if, if any smart writer is going to look at all these reviews from the critics and see where everyone hated it and think, okay, this is the stuff that I'm not going to do. I mean, when I write a book and I get bad reviews, I look at them and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure I don't do that again. Because if I do that again, people are going to hate it. it. And I want people to not hate my stuff. I want people to like it, you know? 
Um, so I think there is a slimmer of hope. I don't have any hope for the Flash. I don't like Ezra, whatever his name is, who's the Flash. I don't have any interest in Cyborg. Um, I have some interest in Wonder Woman, but I there was a little bit of hope that thinks there could be a decent Batman film starring Ben Affleck, which I never thought I'd actually say. But he kind of showed that he's got some <laughs> chops for the role, some. But he was really constrained some. by terrible script, bad and bad directing. Um, well, in my opinion, I feel like it's just because he's Ben Affleck that it wouldn't, it would never be as good as because it's just you know some people have it, some people no, don't, and to I me, agree. I don't think that I don't think Ben Affleck like has it naturally. So Mm-mm. he does. You know, he makes up for it halfway with his, you know, with his performance and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. which is great and it's admirable and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, if you get someone who's just more naturally Batman and then he would just with the same amount of skills and effort, he would do a lot better. <laughs> that is the easier solution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's just what I wanted to say. Thank no, you, Luke, for being here. We finished doing this. I thought it was going to be like, you know, like hilarious and we could have had more fun with it. But yeah. hey. We didn't, and uh, that's about it. Thank you, man. Happy to, little, happy to come here little, and rant. Yeah. Yep, our little review corner, which will be stuck into the end of whatever podcast we have next. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Luke. Sounds good. I'm Batman. Do it. Oh, Batman. It's possible to love someone and not treat them in the way that you want. It's possible to see your eyes be the devil in disguise with another front end. It's possible to change this world, revolutionize the boys and girls. It's possible to educate the next generation that will rule the world someday. The changing times of the 21st century. Changing times There's nothing of the 21st because century. Be. At the beginning of time, Earth would be mine, living in luxury Discovering a world out there Believing in the sun, earth, water and air Take me there So I could see the world bloom Standing in the seas Howling at the moon Creating a world for the open-minded A unique perception of the truth inside it I know we can find it It's just a matter of when and where We collectively decided The world is not a vicious place It's just the way we've been raised Discovering time and space I know that we could... I know, uh, I know that, that we love can make each a other. change Rearrange the way that we appreciate the world today It's possible to change this world Okay, that's it's it It's beautiful Wait, let, me, let me go back and see if 